Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can take control of the airwaves toll-free at 1-800-259-9231. The Sinkle CAI toll-free line for you. It is Ian here with you. And Nick. And Mark. And you can join us online. Freetalklive.com is the place to go. The features on our website we give away, so do enjoy those on us. That again, freetalklive.com. Update on the story we uh, started the show out with last night. The senator... This is the this is the big news now, Mark. It was just uh, sort of off to the side yesterday, and now all of a sudden it's exploded, so to speak, uh, which is might have been what uh, Senator Craig was looking to do in a bathroom stall recently, according to the news. AP is, uh, of course, we told you the story yesterday from RollCall.com, uh, the originator of the story, and the actually what's interesting about this is the story's so old. I mean, it, it happened back in June. And it didn't. It's it hasn't hit the news until this week. So somebody dropped the ball on on you know letting this one out, this cat out of the bag, so to speak. And uh, anyway, he went into a bathroom in an airport in St. Paul, Minneapolis St. Paul Airport, and allegedly was looking for a little bit of sexy time with uh, an undercover cop. And well, he wasn't looking for the time with the cop. It just well, happened to be an undercover. Right, cop. there was an undercover cop in one of this one of the stalls, and Senator Craig stopped in front of one of the, that that particular stall, looked in, looked down at his hands, fiddled with his hands for a moment, looked back into the stall, looked back down at his hands. He did this for a, for an entire two minutes, standing out in front of this man's stall. He then proceeded to go into the stall next to the undercover cop, wherein he put his bag up against the front door of the, the you know the door of the stall and the cop said this is something that is typical when someone's looking for a little bit of uh, sexual activity he then started moving his foot in a certain uh, certain pattern that tends to be something else that the cop uh, knows to look for he then slid his foot over after the cop responded by moving his foot similarly uh, Senator Craig then slid his foot over and touched the police officer's foot at that point, uh, and then he ran his hand underneath the cre- underneath the, uh, the the wall of the stall, if you will, the divider. And I presume that uh, that is sort of an indicator for you know, touch my hand if you want to go a little bit further, that sort of thing. Uh, of course, the officer then revealed himself as a police officer, and uh, Senator Craig was arrested. But now, according to the AP, under fire from leaders of his own party, Idaho Senator Larry Craig on Tuesday said the only thing he'd done wrong was to plead guilty after a complaint of lewd conduct in a men's room. He declared, I am not gay. I never have been gay. Now, he may be telling the truth here. He could be a bisexual. <laughs> right? Yeah, well, I guess. If you're not gay, but you're looking for sex in a men's bathroom, that would make you a bisexual, wouldn't well, it? Well, you're assuming that everything that happened happened as the way the police officer told it. I am assuming that. And, and again, I don't think this is necessary. I don't think this should be a crime. I, you know, I think Senator Craig, if he wants to go and have sex in a bathroom, no problem. It, well, it's a problem if it's a public bathroom. In my opinion. Okay, yeah. I mean, if you're quiet about it, then I don't see... Nobody's going to know, right? Yuck. (laughs) I think it's pretty gross myself, but, you know, I think having sex in a bathroom stall is its own punishment. Anyway, he said at a news conference with his wife, Suzanne, at his side, I did nothing wrong at the Minneapolis airport. And I agree. 
He didn't do anything wrong. What's wrong? I'm sure about, glad I didn't have to convince my wife to try to stand there while I had a news <laughs> after this. What's wrong about what Sen- the What's wrong about Senator Craig is that he has, uh, you know, he's one of these moralist Republican guys, and he's somebody that, you know, is while he's pretending he's not a gay man and voting against gay marriage and that sort of thing. Uh, he's faced rumors about his sexuality since as early as the 1980s. Allegations that he had engaged in gay sex had never been substantiated. Craig, of course, has always denied the assertions, which he calls ridiculous. And, you know, in this case, it looks like, well, the rumors are true. Looks like you really are like this, Senator Craig. And if that's okay, you know, that's fine with me. If you want to be a gay man, great. That's So great. he voted against gay marriage? He did vote against gay marriage. Hmm. And so, you know, he's one of these moralists that wants to shove his value system down your throat Not all entirely. the while he's having sex in bathrooms Not entirely. According to the uh, Republican Liberty Caucus Liberty Index, he came out an 80 on personal liberties and an 85 on economic liberties, which makes him an 82.5, and therefore they call that a libertarian. Yeah, well, that's their terminology, not mine. But I would prefer yeah. to have a I don't whole really agree with their bunch shoring system. I would prefer to have a whole bunch of uh, what they would call libertarians in the Senate than you know what what does make up the Senate, which is a bunch of centrists and conservatives and liberals and socialists. Just because he might have voted down a few uh, you know uh, bills that might have reduced liberty somewhat doesn't make this guy a libertarian at all. I'm sure he's introduced all kinds of big government legislation and voted for all kinds of big government legislation. He's a senator, after all. I understand the only what man you're saying. in I... Congress who represents what libertarianism is about is Ron Paul. If this guy was a libertarian, he'd be talking about liberty. He'd be promoting liberty. He'd be doing liberty-oriented things. Things, and he's not that guy. Why don't so you, don't trot out his score like it means something. It, it, it means something if that's what he's voting for. Look, I don't need a guy. I don't need a Senate full of guys that are out there uh, spouting off like Ron Paul. Ron Paul. I would prefer that. I really would. But I'll take a bunch of them that are voting, you know, 88 times out of 10 for personal liberties and 8.5 times out of 10 for economic liberties. Yeah. Well, but the issue with this guy is that most likely he's not being honest with his constituency about who he really is. I mean, I'm sure he does campaign as an upright, morally upright, upstanding citizen. A family who, man. Right. He probably does a very good job of representing um, I- Idahoans as far as their sexuality goes. I would think that most gay people from Idaho leave. Right. Well, <laughs> that's true. Um, but he's, he's still not really being completely honest with the voters who he represents. And that's quite common of politicians. I mean, a Does, lot of them have baggage uh, to probably a disproportionate amount. Why do they have to be honest about their sexuality? It, it, it's detrimental to their job. Well, I'm, I'm sure he would support legis- the legislation that made this illegal, though. It's just, I'm sure I, he it's would. It's just ironic. I mean, he's been caught the bathroom in his legis- trap. Yeah, the, the bathroom yeah. laws? He yeah, likely the, would. The sex in the bathroom law. One eight hundred two five nine. I would support no sex in the bathroom laws. So you know, in a public bathroom, yeah, me, yeah. It, as far as I'm concerned, when you're talking about your bathroom, it's not a problem. Maybe disorderly conduct. I don't think it. Which is really actually what he was that. cited for right. was disorderly conduct, not sex in a bathroom. I don't know if that even is a law um, per se. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. You're welcome to comment on this or whatever happens to be on your mind. Let's go to Frank in New York. Frank, you're on Free Talk Live. Hello there. How are you doing? Yeah, I just wanted to make two comments about the senator from Idaho. Yeah. Uh, I guess he's having his own private Idaho. (laughs) Uh, What does that mean? I've never seen the movie. 
It's very good, but it uh, it gets interesting. Also, his actual charge was he 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 pled guilty to a charge of lewdness, which is different from disorderly conduct. Really, I, the report him, yesterday said it was him, disorderly uh, conduct. A sexual predator, in a sense. So he may be the highest-ranking member on the sexual predators registry. But what I wanted to mention <laughs> is. People shouldn't be shocked about this stuff in Washington. I mean, we've had scandals with senators and congressmen in the pages, and we had all sorts of – you guys are probably too young to remember when I was in elementary school, when J. Edgar Hoover was running the FBI and LBJ was president – uh, they had a situation with Jenkins, who was a big man at the Capitol, a senator congressman over his career. And, you know, it's reported that LBJ said to J. Edgar Hoover, J. Edgar, uh, why don't you and Clyde Tolson just go down to the men's skinny dip at the Capitol YMCA and troll for Jenkins, and we'll get him out. <laughs> <laughs> was it Hoover himself? So in a sense, homosexuality or bisexuality and perversion has absolutely... Uh, is is absolutely natural to Washington D.C. and it has been that way you know, for many many years. And in a way, uh, I think all the commotion about the uh, uh, woman who had her uh, 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 what do we call the escort service mm -hmm. that was hassled by the government. I mean, it's come out in her uh, book that that you know some of the clients included the vice president when he was president of Halliburton. Really? Uh, I didn't hear, I hadn't heard that. I mean, there's a whole list of things, and it's not uncommon, you know, for blackmail, whether it's the FBI, uh, CIA, National Security Agency, to set people up and stuff. And, you know, in a sense... Uh, well, the rumors things, in, in D.C. It didn't happen in Washington. It happened in Idaho. Thank and you for the call, Frank. We appreciate it. And some of the things, some of the rumors that float around in Washington, D.C. are pretty interesting, too, uh, including that the there's this sort of group of senators or high-powered people in Washington government that are interested in little boys as well. I, th I, I just think that's all paranoid conjecture. I find it believable. More on the way, this is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can bring up whatever you want toll-free at 800-259-9231, the SACL-CAI toll-free line. That's 1-800-259-9231. You can join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features on our website we give away, including the updates. Get signed up, and we'll clue you in whenever there's something new that you need to know about the show. Just go to updates.freetalklive.com to get on the list. That's updates.freetalklive.com. And your mattress was likely manufactured using all kinds of disturbing chemicals. Does this bother you? Well, it bothers some scientists, especially in the case of young children. Savvy Rest's mattresses are made of 100% natural latex rubber, organic wool, and organic cotton. Try their crib mattresses, too. SavvyRest.com. For the sleep you've been dreaming of, that's SavvyRest.com. It is Ian here with you. And Nick. And Mark. Nick, of course, joining us uh, from the world of Free Minds TV, which I tell you just keeps getting better and better with every episode. Uh, if you guys haven't seen it yet, you should take a moment and go to FreeMindsTV.com to get all the episodes there. 1-800-259-9231. Uh, let's see here. Talking about property. Let's talk about property and permits. Now, anybody that's ever owned a home and ever wanted to do anything to make that home better knows about the permitting process. Yeah. Now, depending on where you live, there are some things that uh, may require permits that may not be required in uh, the town next to you, for instance. It's pretty arbitrary as to whether or not you 
actually need a permit to do whatever it is you want to do. Um, for instance, you've mentioned before several times, Mark, that where we used to live down in Florida, there's a place called Longboat Key, which is one of the most wealthy places to live in the United States. And there are so many zoning restrictions and permitting requirements there that you can't do things to the inside of your you home. You can't recarpet your home without getting a permit. Carpet on the right. inside of your house. And they may not like your co- uh, you know, the color you choose, for mm. all I know. So there's all kinds of rules and regulations, and you know, depending on where you live. Some places it's not so bad. Here in Keene, New Hampshire, there's nowhere near, I don't think, as many permits as where we come from. No. So that's a nice thing, I but, guess. But, you know, uh, in Keene, New Hampshire, I'm sure that there's significantly more than there are in surrounding communities, which, which are much more rural here in New Hampshire. There's a place called Grafton in New Hampshire that doesn't even have a zoning board. So well, it's not just Grafton. There are some other, I think, Canaan and, and pretty much anywhere north of those towns. There's a handful of places, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's even possible to live somewhere where there aren't these meddling busybodies that want to tell you what to do with uh, your with your time and with your money. In fact, the permitting process doesn't have anything really to do with safety. Uh, because if you've ever actually pulled a permit before and actually seen the bureaucrats that come out to to inspect your property... You probably have gotten the feeling that they don't really want to be there, and they're just coming by to sort of give a the most cursory of inspections. Unless, of course, you've made them angry, in which case then they'll fail you for the most uh, Minor, innocuous yeah. of violations. So, you know, it's it's all about politics. It's all about playing the game and not offending the bureaucrats, not giving them any reason to be angry at you, and then they'll just give you the wink and the nod, and they'll move along, and you'll get your, your approval as long as you've creased enough palms. Right. Don't forget the money that you've got to pay. Right. If, well, now, yeah. It, and it's, it's usually not under-the-table stuff. This is over-the-table stuff. Right. There's fees in order to be permitted properly, which... Um, I think that I think the permitting process uh, really disempowers the consumer. Here's why. Uh, for instance, in Sarasota, Florida, I redid a house. I, I took one and remodeled it, and mm-hmm. um, I enclosed what was essentially a porch. I didn't go through the permitting process to enclose this porch. Uh oh. I just uh, took what was a twelve, what was you know deeded as a twelve hundred square foot house. And enclosed the porch, turned it into a 1,700-square-foot house, but mm-hmm. I didn't go through any of the processes. Now, I did a very, very good job and had professional contractors out there and um, you know, insulated it really well and, and, and did all these things because I wanted to do that. But I just didn't want to pay the bureaucrats to uh, look over my shoulder while I did it. I, somebody could have done this and done a much worse job. They could have put in bad wiring. They could have, uh, you know, not insulated. They could have done all kinds of things mm-hmm. poorly. They could have not strapped in the uh, the two by four. So if a hurricane came, it would just blow that and uh, blow <laughs> the thing right off. And but it's their house, and because of the existence, right? It is their house. But when you sell it, and I did, I sold it shortly thereafter after building on this um, addition. So when you sell it, people just assume. Hmm, there's a piece of a house there. It must be approved by the zoning and the planning board and the, the people that – it must be up to code. Mm-hmm. Just because all these government agencies exist, they give their – just by their existence, they give their tacit approval to everything around. Now, a savvy consumer knows that some people uh, do this and some people don't. And different municipalities are better at catching uh, when you sell and you know, uh, different consumers are better at knowing, hmm, this says it's a 1,200-square-foot property, but it – Really, this isn't 1,200 square feet. It's more. I need to check. Mm-hmm. So uh, different people are, are better at it, but the fact is it, they give the, by their existence, they give tacit approval to every building that's out there. 
it's there. They must have approved it. Right. Whether or not it, it was or wasn't approved. Yeah. And that, that's a terrible idea. I mean, people should get a home inspection anytime they're buying a new house to, to for their own information to know what's there. I mean, mm-hmm. it's really even a, a buyer, it's a buyer's responsibility to it know. It is. What, but even a home in inspection isn't necessarily going to reveal everything. Uh, my home down in uh, Sarasota, Florida, that I'm actually currently trying to sell, if you want to buy it, go to house.freetalklive.com. <laughs> Here's a little inside information for you. Uh, we discovered that. Later on, after I had purchased the home, that there was an add-on done to the home. It wasn't uh, permits were not pulled for it, so an entire rooms were added on to this house, and they didn't put what they call the footer underneath the rooms, this concrete slab or whatever that is supposed to prevent the home from sinking into the earth, right? Uh, allegedly, right, as though this is a problem. So I, I discovered this only because I went to try to put a roof on the on the property. And without a proper footer, you can't put a a pitched roof. You cannot put a, an A-frame or whatever you call it mm-hmm. on the property. So I'm stuck with a flat roof um, as a result of that. And, of course, I went through the process of, you know, finding, uh, getting the... the the roof inspected, or not inspected, but having some plans drawn up for the new roof and everything. And then I find out later on, after someone starts digging a hole, that, oh, sorry, no footer here. Well, you know, sorry about that. You can't do anything now, so you've thrown hundreds of dollars down the drain. And in addition, if I was to try to go through some sort of permitting process in order to put a footer underneath or something like that, there's a chance that the government could come along and say, oh, sorry, no permits were pulled for this. You're going to have to tear it down. There's, there is that chance. Mm-hmm. So if you bring something like that to the bureaucrat's attention, they could hold you responsible for it. Not that you'd be charged with anything because it was done before you bought the house, but they could tear it down and say, sorry, unapproved structure. Tear it down. It's dangerous. <laughs> and then I'd lose you know, 50% of my, uh, my square footage in my home. So I just had to keep quiet about it. Of course, you lived in that uh, underneath that uh, flat roof of yours for sure. years and uh, had no problems at all. And plus, you did some improvements to it, right? The, the, that side of the house is fine. I mean, it's just that they didn't, you know, they cut a corner here and there, apparently. Right. And that's what happens, you know. So I just, I was pointing that out because the home inspection, they're not going to dig holes. They're not no, going to really not. go into uh, things. So eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. I bring all this up because there's a story. And it's from the Daily Breeze from uh, the Los Angeles area. A man built a fence, a retaining wall, a patio, and a few concrete columns to decorate his driveway. And now Francisco Linares is going to jail for it. See, Linares had been given six months to get final permits for the offending structures or remove them as part of a plea agreement reached in January when he pleaded no contest to five misdemeanor counts of violating the Rolling Hills Estates Building Code. If he failed to do one or the other, Linares faced six months in county jail. Now a man is looking at six months in jail because he wanted to improve his property without the permission of the bureaucrats. More on the way, you can take control. This is Free Talk Live. With your help, we can spread the message of liberty around the world. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month now at amp.freetalklive.com. If you can't afford it, keep enjoying us for free. If you can spare the three, visit amp.freetalklive.com. (laughs) 
This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can bring up anything toll-free at 800-259-9231. The SACL CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Nick. And Mark. And you can join us online. Freetalklive.com is the place to go. The features on the site are for free, including the wiki. Over 1,400 pages created by listeners just like you. Just head on over to wiki.freetalklive.com, W-I-K-I.freetalklive.com to get interactive. All right, so we're talking about the zoning rules and regulations in any town USA. In this particular case, it's a small city, very small, called Rolling Hills Estates. Now, by the name of that, you would think, well, that's not a city. That's a gated community. It's got that sort of sound to it, right? Like, yeah. you know, somewhere you'd roll up and punch in a code to go in. And indeed, it is certainly a uh, sort of an exclusive city. I was looking at some of the details on the Wikipedia page, and I think the median income is over $100,000 a year. So, I mean, you do have to be a little bit wealthy, I guess, to live in Rolling Hills Estates. But it is. They do claim to be a city. There is a government and everything. And uh, right now, one of the men who lives in the area, the population of 7,600, Francisco Linares, is about ready to go into jail for six months because he didn't pull final permits for a retaining wall, patio, and a few concrete columns that he wanted to, uh, to beautify his property with. According to Torrens Superior Court Judge Sandra Thompson, she chastised Linares, a farmer's insurance district manager, for not completing what he agreed to do in January and then handed him the maximum sentence without possibility of house arrest or probation. He said, uh, the judge said, Imagine my disappointment to find we are no further along in resolving these issues. At the rate we're going, we'll still be talking about this at my retirement party. Linares is scheduled to report to county jail in September. He says, I'm not scared. It's just very unfair. The city said they wanted to teach me a lesson because they thought I wanted to get away with a lot of stuff. His attorney said he's never heard of anything like this. Quote, we're talking about fixing a fence that was on city property. He didn't build a Las Vegas casino. You put a guy in jail for six months because he repaired the city's fence? The 51-year-old bought the nearly one-acre property back in 1998 after tearing down a house on the site and building a 3,000-square-foot French-style home. He began landscaping when Linares was uh, asked the city to repair the white three-railed fence behind his house. He was told it was on his property, and therefore it was his responsibility. So he replaced the termite-infested planks. Then the city reversed itself and said Linares had illegally built the fence on city property. In October of 2004, and the cool thing is the city can just say whatever the hell it wants to say. Right. Oh, yeah, well, uh, now we've changed our mind, and now you get to go to jail. In t- October 2004, or you can, you know, spend thousands of your dollars fighting them in court. That's an option, too. Remember, they've got deep, deep pockets, and they'll just fight you till you uh, either run out of money or until they put you in a jail cell. Right. It's it's your money, your tax money that's paying to uh, fight yourself to fight anyway. You. Yeah. you and all your neighbors who are implicit in it, and they have no idea. As though your neighbors are going to really care that you fixed a terminite-infested fence. In October 2004, the city charged Linares with three misdemeanors for not taking... Uh, here they are. For not taking down the fence, having a retaining wall built higher than a two-foot restriction, and for erecting stone columns without a neighborhood compatibility analysis. What's that mean? It sounds like you've got to pay somebody. Somebody's got to get a payoff before you can uh, start looking at doing it. Later inspections found eight other violations, including a lack of permits for plumbing and grading. Oh, so they went, really went after this guy once they found out about the mm-hmm. fence. 
Nice. He's had a couple Once of, he fixed their fence for them, then they really went after him. The city's prosecutor, who obviously has nothing better to do, said he's had a couple of years to correct the problems. His options were to obtain final permits or remove all of these structures built without permits. He lives in the house with his wife and three daughters, contends he didn't remove the structures because he believed the permits would be approved. However, the bureaucrat said no permits are pending since Linares failed to resubmit an application that was deemed incomplete. Ah, see, he didn't cross the right T's and dot the correct I's and fill out the right blanks on their precious little form, so therefore they just flushed it down the drain and probably didn't tell him about it. At the sentencing, see, it's your responsibility to follow up on your permitting process. At the sentencing, Hamar said his client was a good Christian man who never committed a crime and who worked diligently 142 hours, in fact, to try to resolve the issues with the city. And the only reason he wasn't able to complete the stipulations of the plea agreement, he said, was because of the city's confusing building codes and negligence in rendering a decision on his permit applications. Well, you know, they say ignorance of the law is no excuse, so just because the city's building codes are confusing, that's no excuse, buddy. You should hire an attorney to help you interpret all the, all the city building codes are, so you can then figure out what permits you need to pull, so you can then pull the appropriate permits and make sure you fill out all the paperwork correctly so they don't throw your application away and not tell you about it. So then they can hopefully approve your permits. You can keep your fingers crossed while you wait and while the termites threaten to infest your home. Right. Right. Uh, and then maybe they'll approve your permits, and then you can go out and finally do the work. Who knows how long all this crap takes? Quote, we established he did everything that was humanly possible to comply. And the unrebutted evidence is that the city hasn't ruled on the permits, said his lawyer. To do something as harsh as put a good man in jail for six months, you've got to look at the impact on society. What will society gain if you put this man in jail? Indeed. In fact, what will society lose if you put this man in jail? He's a hardworking family man who obviously is a uh, member of, you know, he works for a company and he he does something in the economy. Now they're not going to have him to report to work. That means somebody has to fill his position. Well, likely they aren't going to put him in jail. They're just going to fine him real big at the, the end of it all. There doesn't seem to be any sort of fine here, sir. They really? are, uh, his, his day in jail is starting September 10th. That's crazy. Six months. So and they, they said he has no chance at house arrest. There's, he's going into a jail cell over this. That's ludicrous. And the taxpayers are going to pay for that as well. Exactly. That's the other side of the economic damage. Not only are you damaging the economy by removing a productive citizen from it, but you're also harming the, you know, the city budget and the taxpayers by forcing them to pay to imprison one of their neighbors who didn't harm anybody else. He didn't destroy anyone's property except the city's rotting old fence, which he replaced. With a nice new fence. <laughs> exactly. Yep. It's so, so weird and bizarre. Welcome. I mean, why wouldn't they be trying to extract money from him? That's that's what makes the, the most sense, you know? He may he may have gotten on somebody's nerves, too. I mean, yeah. he may have just not, after, when that was discovered, he may have just not wanted to go along with what the bureaucrats wanted him to do. And, Spoken out at a city council meeting yeah. or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that sounds right. Certainly a possibility. Uh, they say Politics is about rewarding your friends and punishing your enemies, so... The prosecutor says that in virtually every city and every county, a violation of the municipal code is a crime. So we're cracking down here in wherever the hell it was, city of Rolling Hills Estates. Uh, Hamar said he plans to appeal. Quote, I'm praying there will be an appeal and that my dad won't be sentenced to jail, said his daughter. My dad's the backbone of our family. How would we be able to hold up if he's not here? I guess the city doesn't really care about that very much. Not a big concern of theirs, I guess. 1-800-259-9231. You can take control of the airwaves. Let's talk to Greg in Florida. Greg, you're on Free Talk Live. Hello. 
How are you? Great. What's on your mind, Greg? Good. Listen, I was listening to you guys, and it's just, um, can you imagine, I mean, there, there's, there's, there's got to be some kind of a system of check and balance on keeping this government that we're dealing with in some kind of control. I mean, you explained the perfect scenario of what we're going through, but what they've taken from us is our little children over, a, over um, an accident that happened. Now, we're in the state of Florida, and we see how our government is getting so involved in all of our business, it's just totally out of control. There's nothing that they don't want to manage about your life. Exactly. Now, can you imagine this man who has done nothing is going to go to jail for six months? Mm -hmm. It's going to cost the government a lot of money to lock this man up. Probably at least 20 grand. Yeah. It's like, for instance, now what I'm dealing with, I wanted to ask you guys this question. Now, I've talked to you before. I'm the one with the website called uh, freeourchildren.com where they're stealing kids in the state of Florida. Now, me and my wife have committed no crime whatsoever. They've had our kids for three years. And this question was Yikes. posed to me. If you haven't committed a crime, why don't you just go and get your kids? Why like don't... break them out from the government detention center or whatever? No, they got them in a foster care. Why mm. don't you just foster homes? Why don't you just go get your kids? You haven't been charged with a crime for three years. And, and there's no reason for them to even have your kids. But they're coming in and doing things. This is where our government is at. They're trying to get us to bow the knee to them. No matter what they do, it's just like if the scenario is true, what you said, that the city told him, if you want that fence fixed, you fix it. So he fixed the fence, and now he's being charged with, a, with something that, that um, I mean, what would be the it's, problem with him upgrading a, a, a rotten fence? It's just absolutely out of control. I'm going to ask, I'd like to ask you your own question, and that is, why haven't you gone and broken your kids out? Come back with uh, Greg in moments here. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You take control, bring up anything. The toll-free number is 800-259-9231. Sickle CAI toll-free line. Ian here with you. And Nick. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. Join us online at freetalklive.com. If you like the show and you want to help support Free Talk Live, then we invite you to go shopping with us at amazon.freetalklive.com. When you enter Amazon through that link, Free Talk Live will get a percentage of anything you purchase. Pretty much, I mean, virtually anything on the site. There might be a couple of exceptions, but uh, whether it's a gift certificate or even some of their used items, we will get a percentage if you enter through Amazon.freetalklive.com. As we go back to the phones, back to Greg in Florida. Now, Greg, you said that your children—was uh, it—is it two children that you have? Four. Four, Four kids. Children my wife's been hiding for a year and six months with our newborn baby because they're trying to take our kids from us. If the, if you were to watch the website FreeOurChildren.com, this is the same county that starved Terry Schiavo to death. When people from all over the country came in trying to support Terry Schiavo, that they would keep her alive, people would have paid. I mean, there was people who had money who said, we will pay for the, the care of this woman the rest of her life. But the government said, no, she has to die. We're dealing with the same Department of Children and Family. Children and Family was the one who dealt with Terry Schiavo. And when they had SWAT teams sit on top of the buildings, when you came out on that home at that, where, she was, where she was at, where she was ordered to, to die, and you see the school and the SWAT officers up on top of the buildings in case someone tries to go into the nursing home to take her out. They're going to shoot them. This is what we're dealing with in America, and they're training the American people right now. You do what we say, or you're going to be either put in prison or you're going to die. And the American people are going along with it because there's not enough men to stand up in this country. Listen, if let's say let's say we were back in the Pilgrims' Day, and the Indians came in and took my children captive. 
I would say to the other men in the community, let's, uh, I mean, I, if I go myself and take my kids, you know what they're going to do to me? They're going to either kill me they're or lock shoot me you. up in prison. Yeah. Now, what is it that they allegedly came and confiscated your, your kids over? My daughter got bit by someone else's dog. The case manager, Megan Gallagher, you read about this on the website, she was falsifying documentation for the Department of Children and Families telling people's kids it's the largest federal block grant coming into the state of Florida. They're literally making millions of dollars by taking people's kids and then adopting the kids out. They put me and my wife in a parenting class where they told us that we had to teach our kids about being homosexual, lesbian, and gay. Slow down a moment here. Now, wait a minute. Your daughter was bitten by a dog? Right. And why does that mean that you have to – I mean, what was it? What did they tell you? Why did they say this means you have to go into a parenting class? Well, this is what I'm saying. When you watch the website, they're doing this. I mean, it's almost like it's so it's, – it's, it's totally – it doesn't make a bit of sense. I mean, if you try to make sense out of it, you'll lose your mind. Right. It's very surreal. And right. yours I mean, isn't the only I – mean, It's like asking questions. I mean, we've been asking, okay, it's gone on three years. We did everything you told us in the parenting class. We still don't have our kids back. We don't smoke. We don't drink. We don't do drugs. We've, we, we live in a clean four-bedroom, two-bath home. We don't have no history whatsoever. But yet the girl who started our case was a, committed 26 cases of, of, um, of falsifying documentation, which is a third-degree felony, which at a minimum charges five years hmm. for offense, and she has got 26 cases. And of basically you're saying that every kid that they bring into the foster care system, the federal government is giving them uh, basically a payout? Federal grant money. It's the largest federal block grant coming into the state of Florida. Then wow. they, I mean, this past year they made $53 million in adopting kids out, taking them from their parents. I mean, when, when, when who you gets get the money? Done, yeah, it's all about money. No, who gets but, it? The bureaucrats, the, the department. The departments yeah, it get comes, it? It comes into the local, into the county. The it's, county it's comes like into jail. The sheriff's department. It's like, it's like putting a prisoner in a jail cell. The more prisoners the jail has, the right. more money the prison gets. Exactly. It's the same thing. That's why there's 1,000 people arrested a week in Pinellas County. Wow. I, just I, I just feel awful for you and, uh, and your wife. And, and it's just so sad because you're just one of many stories. Oh, yeah. There are one so many people that uh, have been abused by the system that is allegedly there to protect children. And, of course, right. it never ends up doing that. At least I've never heard of an example where they've actually protected kids. I'm All sure we ever hear something the, out there. the horror stories. And either way, the, these bureaucrats just need to go away. The, the, only, the only solution to this problem is not to, it's not to rearrange the bureaucracy. It's not to change change a few things about it it's to eliminate it entirely and if uh, if indeed there are parents out there harming their kids bring them up on some sort of charges as you say exactly. you've never been charged exactly well see what on the 24th of september they're going to try they're going to terminate my rights as a parent and what i'm trying to figure out people are telling me just go and get your kids and it sounds so simple but the problem is is i'm going against the 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 enforced you're talking about these guys that are the, the new Gestapo in America. Mm -hmm. These people, I mean, you can't even reason with them. And what happens is when you've got someone who's unreasonable, it's like, I mean, I've been going to court for three years, and we've been asking them, I mean, wh on what grounds do you even have to have our children? I mean, we, we demand our right to a trial by jury. They're, they're telling us we don't have a right to a trial by jury. Wow. The reason we don't want to give the trial by jury is because then they'll be exposed for what they've done. How can someone come in and take, they stole our kids. They outright stole it's so, our children. It's so sad that people uh, like you have to find out the hard way that what you're dealing with is nothing more than an armed gang of criminals. I mean, right. isn't that pretty I, much what they are? I would have never believed it before this. I thought the government, listen, I was one of these people, if someone did something like this and they told me about it, I would say, well, you had to do something.
Mm. You have to, you've done something, and you're not telling us about it. And what happens is when you go to that website, freeourchildren.com, and you watch what they're doing to all these families, one right after another, and they're getting the money. It's all about using now children for money, and everything in the juvenile court system is confidential. No one has access to the records, and these children are literally being raped and physically abused, and it goes on and on and It does on. happen can, all the time in these foster homes. These kids um, you know, are confiscated from their parents. They're raped, and then right. you know they, they, come, they, may, they may get returned to their parents a few months later. When was the last time you even saw your children? I see them twice a month. That's, for three years now, I've seen my kids for two hours a month. Our kids have never been sick. Prior, these people took them. They've been to the doctors now a hundred times. Medicaid fraud. Jeez. None of our kids had any cavities. Now my son's got six big cavities. They bring us our kids with lice in their hair, ringworm in their face. This guy I talked to just past week, every time his kid went to school, he came back home with lice. He called the health department. They came out and took his kids. Now they've got his kids because he reported the school system for bringing his kids home with um, lice three times now. And so what happens is they, DCF comes out and has taken this man's kids. And when you hear these stories, you just hear people, people, we just don't know what to do. We are trying to figure out what can we do with the government now that is just, they're like tyrants. They're right, like, and I they've mean, got all the money. Uh, they're holding all of the cards. They have your kids. They've right. got an unlimited amount of funds with which to fight you if you decide to fight them. But the, as you say, there's not even any sort of process for that. The entire situation is happening outside of the judicial system. Right. They've never, you've never seen the inside of a courtroom. And, uh, you know, what can you do? An armed gang of brigands has stolen your children from, uh, from you. And the only, the only sensible solution is to kidnap them back and go on the run. What the hell else can you do in this case? It's just sad. You know, it looks like there's about 20 or twenty or so uh, stories on this website, freeourchildren.com. Oh, yeah. Well, I, go, there's, there's other ones called rescuemykids.com. That's another, another one. I mean, these are all websites that we have put up so people can see what they're doing. And what's this? I mean, what's going to happen to these kids? I mean, if they continue to be in the the hands of the government, every day they're in the hands of these government bureaucrats. The more damage is done to them mentally. Well, it uh, sounds like you guys are on the website. You look at that young boy there who was handcuffed at nine years old, taken from his mother, and they burnt this boy. They put him in a. They literally put him in a foster home when the foster parents were drug addicts, mm-hmm. and he was having to go out and to break into people's houses. He said the first time he broke into someone's house, he said he was so afraid at nine years old. But they beat this kid up and told him if you don't do it, and they handcuffed this kid to a bed. And he told his case Jeez. manager this for three years in Pinellas County. Three years, he gives the names of the people who work in the court system. He names them by name on that website you're watching right now, and says these people knew this was going on for three years. I was out breaking into people's houses, going to these wealthy neighborhoods, and when they weren't home in the daytime, I was breaking into their houses and bringing the money back to the drug people. Yep, it figures. You know, that when you when you offer people money and no oversight to take care right, of kids, no you're going to get the, the dregs. You're going to get the people that are going to lock kids in bedrooms or in closets, take right. the checks, run down the street, cash them, and then go and buy some crack. Exactly, I mean, and that's exactly what you're doing. To a T, what you just said. Is it, now, is this your children. website, Greg, that you're promoting? Yeah, right. When you watch on the front of that, you'll see how they put us in a parenting class. At, put, took, they put me and my wife in a parenting class where we had to teach our kids at, at the age of five and six years old about being homosexual, lesbian, gay, and bisexual. And they said, we're not going to get our kids back if we don't teach them this. What? And we told them, listen, you, you know, we're not, it's not going to happen. It isn't going to happen. We're getting our kids back. I don't know. I mean, 
I mean, I stand on the promises of the Word of God, but we're getting our kids back, but there's no way in the world we're going to teach this stuff. I'm not going to be held liable to teach this stuff. We believe in living a clean life, waiting till you're married, and so forth and so well, on. Well, whatever your belief systems are, I don't care about. That's not right. the issue here. They're your the, kids. The issue is they're your kids. You should be right. the ones raising them. They should not be in the hands of the state. Go ahead and plug your website one more time, if you would. It's free. It's freearchildren.com. Good luck, Greg, and keep us in the loop, Thank okay? Let much. us know what happens with your Thank case. You we really appreciate program. the call. It's just a sad, sad story, and he isn't the only one. Just another reason to get a vasectomy, in my opinion. Hour two's on the way. It's Free Talk Live. One of the bonuses you'll get as a Free Talk Live amplifier is access to our classic archives. For just $3 a month, you can become an amplifier, and you'll help us get on more radio stations and MP3 players. Get the details at amp.freetalklive.com. That's amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. You can take control of the airwaves. The toll-free number is 1-800-259-9231 as we launch into hour number two of the program. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line. It is Ian here with you. And Nick. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. You can join us online at freetalklive.com. The features on our site, totally free, so enjoy those on us. That again, freetalklive.com. Let's roll right into the phone calls and talk to Carl in Montreal. Carl, you're on Free Talk Live. Hello. Hey, um, a couple things I want to say. Well, the last caller was one, and then Attorney General Alberto Gonzalez was the other thing I wanted to talk about. Um, well, there was a recent issue here up in Quebec about um, child services would take the children of, like, Mennonite families and uh, Catholics who would not send their uh, children to public schools where the mandatory mm-hmm. curriculum teaches evolution. They teach that homosexuality is okay. And there was a big debate up here, you know, that the people, communities are packing up and moving to other provinces because they're afraid of these child protective services just coming and taking their kids. You know, they have to go to a school that has to teach a certain curriculum. I don't know about in the States. Um, with anything recent about that, but it, it differs cool. uh, state by state. Um, there are more offensive homeschool regulations in some states than there are in others. Um, so there are similar rules here. Usually, they just leave the Mennonites alone, though. Right. You know, I I don't have any problem with uh, p- parents teaching their kids that uh, homosexuality is okay or whatever. But as far as I'm concerned, the parents should be able to decide what they teach their kids, and that's really what the issue is, as far as I'm concerned. Right, and I actually saw the news you're referring to about the the Mennonites. They were just planning on just all of them picking up whether or not they had kids, and I'm sure most of them do, but uh, just picking up and moving their entire community to a different province or something like that, right? Yeah, Mennonites would do that. Right? Is that right, Carl? Yes. Okay. What else did you have in mind? The other thing is about uh, Attorney Alberto Gonzalez. Well, I said my case before. I had uh, Paul McNulty as one of my prosecutors, and he was the deputy attorney general under Alberto Gonzalez. I don't know. I remember he said about stepping down, was it back in, what, March or May or whatever? And his name's come up a few times. It was in the paper today, but, I mean, it's just, I mean, he had him lie several times and just make up allegations and then com- confronted him. He didn't well, you don't to- get to be the Attorney General of the United States by being a good guy. You know, you, know. <laughs> you've got to know some scummy people. Uh, you, you've got to know politicians. You've got to know the right people, and then, then that's, that's how you get in. So, you know, this isn't a shock. It's not a shock that uh, Alberto Gonzalez was a liar. He's a politician. Right. Politicians rise to the ranks by being the most cutthroat of politicians. The good yeah. politicians have a tendency to get weeded out early on. Exactly. Carl, thanks for the call. We appreciate it. 1-800-259-9231. Uh, let's go to – and you know what? As far as the Mennonites are concerned, 
I, I support them. You know what? Pick up and move out. If, if that's all it's it, – because you know the Mennonites certainly aren't going to uh, arm up and put up fences with barbed wire to defend their freedoms. That's not their policy no, now. They're Mennonites, so. But that sure as hell would be interesting, wouldn't it? You want to talk about some new, a newsworthy event. The Mennonites have hunkered down. They've dug trenches. <laughs> they've put up fences, and they're not going anywhere. Yeah, well, that doesn't sound like Mennonites at all, but it does sound like militia. Which is why it would be newsworthy, because it would be awesome. Sure would. Uh, let's continue with the calls and talk to Dave in Montana, listening on KGEZ. Hey, Dave. Howdy, guys. Uh, This is kind of out of the blue, but I've been listening to the news every half hour. They're talking about the astronaut lady. Mm -hmm. What's going on with her? uh, She's just uh, pleading insane or something, which she probably is, but I don't know. Hmm. But the The diaper will help with that. The way (laughs) they portray it, so like, and she said that they were, she uh tried to kidnap a romantic rival. That's the words they're using. If a guy did what she did, he'd be like labeled a, you know, a jealous, insane, uh, maniac kidnapper, you know? Did she actually kidnap someone, or did she try to kidnap someone? Yeah, whatever, you know, but the way they explain it, I just just want to show the scam that this, uh, you know, the way women want to be treated equal and everything, but they, they really don't. You know? Well, you know, it's funny that uh, the, the feminist movement of the 1970s right, is where that, that whole say. concept came from. And, of course, not all women were feminists, and so, unfortunately, many of them uh, are now suffering by this mentality that was created by the feminist movement that, uh, you know, everyone thinks women are exactly the same as men, Another, and they should be treated equally. Uh, but as far as, the, are they the same? No, they're different. Men and women right. are different, and a- that's okay. Another, exam- another example, they're... they're uh, Throwing a big fit about kids showing the crack in their butt, you know, their pants hanging down mm-hmm. low. Right, Louisiana. Women, women could walk around with their cleavage, you know, the whole side of the boob showing. Yeah, what's it. one crack versus another crack, right? Right, that's what I'm... And, and another thing, and it's going to hurt a lot of people, going to make a lot of people's eyes, but abortion. Just because woman is deemed by the creator the doorway into this existence, and it hurts for it to open the door that only comes along with the territory. If they want to put a dent in abortion, you drag the man into it, too, because it's an equal thing. took two people to create that baby, and if they yeah. want to end I know that Mark's baby, gonna agree with signatures... I- Mark's going to agree with you on that, but I, uh, you know, while it took two people to create that thing, uh, she's got to bear that burden well, for, well, that uh, for all the time. Matter. That doesn't matter. Just because I'm a man and I could throw a woman down to the ground and put a baby into her, I can't, you know, because it's, you know, it's not right. Just because, now say if I'm living with somebody and they want to throw my baby away, and I say, no, we made that baby in love. You, you can't just reach in and throw that baby away. It, well, yes, she can. <laughs> yes, no, she no, can. Where's the equalness? I can't just throw her down. And You're not equal. You're just the guy that race. stuck it in. How could she? She allowed me to fertilize her or whatever, you know. Right. It wasn't no rape. And 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 now oh, she could just throw it away? No way. That's my baby, too. That was made Well, out how about love. this? How about she takes it out of her and gives it to you? How about that? Yeah, then what I'll are you going to do? I'll pay, if she wants a charge for the pain and for the housing of the baby during the nine months, then, you know, you pay her three If you can strike a, a deal like that, then right. I say more power to you, you. You have struck on the empowering cord there, Dave, um, is that, you know, 
if you were to pay the woman to uh, gestate your child for you, right, and then fifteen hundred for the birth and everything, you know, but then they say, well, I can't have the baby and then give it away. You well, know what I mean? Then they play that woman thing again. Well, that's why you need a signed to... agreement, Dave. That, that, that's that's when you start playing the uh, guilt thing. Oh, you can't t- you can't take it <laughs> and throw it away, saying, but uh, or you can't you can't have the child, but you can kill it. You know, so that's when you would play about, that uh, card. It's all about equal to everybody, like, and 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 that's why all men are created equal and endowed with their creator certain unalienable. They rights. may be created equal, but they're also created different. Thanks for the call, Dave. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. That is the SACL CAI toll free line for you. I hope that does not open the Pandora's box. Well, I'm not going to comment any further. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Nick, you're sort of sitting quietly during that. Any thoughts? Uh, I'm pretty neutral on the abortion issue, actually. So I, um, I try to stay out of it. It's not a ma- main issue for me. I see both sides of the the debate, and uh, right. And I know, think I, it's... See a li- I, I would effectively be pro-choice just because I don't believe the laws would any laws are going to work effectively against it. But I can see the pro-life argument for life too. So the, That's obviously, sort of where I fall too. Yeah. There are libertarians who call themselves pro-life libertarians, and and all of that. I think Ron Paul is probably one of them. Uh, but it's it seems to me that even though you may be considering yourself a pro-life libertarian, you also need to understand that prohibiting abortions is about the worst idea. I mean, that's just an awful, awful concept. It generally creates a bad uh, it, it creates a bad environment. And, it creates uh, a black market for abortions. And we all know what happens when the black market takes a hold of products and services. Very bad things happen. They get dangerous and they get expensive and people get hurt. Do you want that to happen? 800-259-9231. Let's continue, uh, this time to Dominic in Georgia. uh, Dominic, you're on Free Talk Live. Dominic? Yes. Hey, you're on the air. Ian, Mark, and Nick, how are you? Good, sir. What's on your mind? I am uh, just chiming in, actually. I'm uh, new to the show, been listening since April. Um, That's not that uh, new. You're fairly experienced at this point. But uh, go ahead. What's on your mind? Uh, actually, not too much. Again, I just wanted to chime in, say hello to you all. Um, I got to see uh, Ian and Mark up there at the uh, Pork Fest in June. Uh, I came up there with my family. Ah, excellent. Cool. Have uh, you made it to the Liberty Forum yet, which is the, the other Free State Project event? Uh, I have not. Uh, we just came up there. We went up there 10 days during the Pork Fest, and we spent our time running around from anywhere from Port Third down to Manchester. Not so when are you moving, around. Dominic? We are moving next year somewhere June, July, August. For, wow, excellent. Uh, that is really exciting. Go over to freestateproject.org and uh, read up on the Liberty Forum. I think they're about to announce some new information. They've already announced some of the speakers. It's going to be happening in early January of 2008. We look forward to seeing you there. Thanks for the call. 800-259-9231. This is Free Talk Live. is Free Talk Live. It's your show and you can bring up anything. The toll-free number is 1-800-259-9231. SACL CAI toll-free line 800-259-9231. It's Ian here with you. And Nick. And Mark. You can join us online at freetalklive.com. The features on the site are for free, including the archives. An entire year's worth of the show right there, front page of the website, for your downloading convenience for you at freetalklive.com. And Free Talk Live is brought to you by the Free State Project. It's your only choice for more personal freedom and smaller, less intrusive government. To learn more about joining the Second American Revolution, go to freestateproject.org. That is freestateproject.org as we go to the phones to the fun. To Tom in New Hampshire. Tom, you're on Free Talk Live. Hello there. Uh, hi there. I was just wanting a point of logic here. Sure. Let's say you're a farmer and you're trying to grow some corn, 
and you're in the middle of a drought, okay? Mm-hmm. Okay. And one day you're looking up in the sky, hey, it's getting a little cloudy. Hey, it starts drizzling out, okay? But it's not enough. It's insufficient rain, mm-hmm. okay? Does it make sense to say that that's excessive rain? No, I wouldn't think so, no. Okay, let's say somebody gets caught shoplifting and the place calls the cops, okay? Mm-hmm. The cop is trying to arrest the person. The person is resisting arrest and actually gets away, okay? Mm-hmm. And then accuses the cop of using excessive force. Because he now, got away. Ma- yeah, it doesn't seem to make sense to call that excessive force. The cop could say, no, no, I only used necessary force. In fact, it wasn't excessive, it was insufficient. Well, because if he had okay. to use excessive force, then he probably wouldn't have got away. Yeah, it would have been sufficient and more than sufficient, but this was less than sufficient, therefore not excessive. Likewise, if some teenagers are peacefully minding their own business at a high school graduation kegger, and the cops show up to start trouble, mm-hmm. and let's, of course you don't want drunk teenagers borrowing the cops' guns and settling the matter out of court because they, they're drunk. They might miss and shoot a, another classmate. Okay, But if they gun down a half a dozen cops and people are saying, oh, that is going too far, well, excuse me, but if the state still enforces underage drinking laws, then it's insufficient. Therefore, not excessive. Wait, what was insufficient? I missed that one. If, they, if the uh, designated drivers who haven't been drinking or anybody who just happens to have shown up uh, just now and they maybe have a six-pack of beer in their hands and mm-hmm. the cops are going to try to arrest them for it. So they borrow the cops' guns out of the holsters and blast away maybe half a dozen cops. <laughs> That's not excessive because the state still keeps right on enforcing underage drinking laws. Therefore, Yeah, I'd uh, call that a stretch, a Tom. That's a bit of a stretch. Insufficient. Thank you for the call. <laughs> we appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Not yeah. excessive is not how I would define that. That situation. What, should we call him just One Note Tom or something <laughs> like that? I mean, he there was a little while where he was calling about other things before he would get to his uh, cop killing advocacy. Well, now he's decided that um, he, he's come up with a new system. His system is that he will uh, address it first and then quickly jump into a new story. Usually, that's what he's been doing, hmm. and uh, we sort of you know forestalled him by asking the question and. Look, while while I agree with Tom that it's awful that the police are busting up high school and college parties and making it so that these kids hate the police because that's really the most uh, that's the most effective way to get young people to have absolutely no respect for the police and that is to arrest them and and harass them and uh, do terrible things to them for just just deciding to drink which many many high school kids do many of them don't get caught and you're not you're never going to stop that well I sympathize with them on that one. I don't think the appropriate response is to pull the guns from the cops' holsters, as though you could even do that uh, effectively, right. and uh, and plink off some police. And go out like Bonnie and Clyde, Yeah, because you're going to go out. Your high school party isn't worth dying over. Well, and I don't think it's really worth taking someone's life over what usually amounts no. to like a $50 ticket and a 20-day you're gonna spend license. You're going to spend a little time in jail, maybe, as you for wait for night, mom and dad to yeah, come and get you. Or for a few hours. But, uh, yeah, things are going to be a lot worse for you if you decide to start killing cops. Please don't listen to what Tom says. 800-259-9231. Now, on the other hand, we should probably talk about underage drinking, because, Nick, you've got a story about that. But first, we need to continue with the phone calls and go to William in Oregon. William, you're on Free Talk Live. Hello. Hello, sir. How are you doing? Great. What's on your mind? Really fine. 
sir, recently we've been uh, doing some research work on thousands of American soldiers who disappeared uh, during World War II, Korean War, Vietnam. Uh-huh. And uh, there's a book called Soldiers of Misfortune. It's mm-hmm. an Avon publication. The book is endorsed by uh, U.S. General Westmoreland. He's, uh, he passed away Isn't recently. That nice? What about it? He, he said that every American needs to read the book to be free. Um, going a little bit farther, uh, U.S. Ambassador John J. Miller has asked for help in uh, getting factual information about real American soldiers that have been stuck in these prisons in Russia, Ukraine. Uh, when they were captured uh, during the Cold War, they were given fictitious names and uh, sent into remote areas of Siberia, etc. At this time, the Russian Red Cross has just begun to become getting money from the American Red Cross, so they can be wholly independent. They have money you now; they can go out and search in these areas. There's a particular camp called uh, G, like George A Y S K, Gask Prison, and uh, if you go to Google and you type in that word, up will come the location. There's a special. What's the point of What's the point of your call? I mean, you're just saying there's uh, some just, POWs just out there still. Uh, mentioning, uh, asking for the public help. Uh, every American citizen is important. We have life, liberty, and freedom here in this country. Tell you what, as soon as the government stops taxing me, I'll give them my assistance on this. How about that? Well, what I'm thinking of as a thought, sir, is this, that uh, if you have a brother or a father who was an American soldier who disappeared and uh, he might still be alive, there was hope there somewhere, you want what, him to come what, home, right? What conflict are, are you talking about that they were supposedly taking? He named several, uh, Korean War, uh, World War II, Vietnam, yes. is that right? Well, actually, uh, to mention this gentleman just briefly, that after World War II, the, the Russians asked for us to return all traitors, you know, from Russia. Uh, a lot of uh, Russians were caught serving with the German armed forces. We refused to do that. And are, you, result, listen, are you talking to us through some sort of voice coding mechanism, oh, or is no, that your real I, voice? <laughs> No, not at all. Uh, but I, I just thought I'd mention that uh, during the Cold War, uh, there were several factors that, that prohibited information coming to the American public. Mm-hmm. Number one, we have something called strategic analysis in this country. Uh, that means there are no gut feelings, no emotions. If, there are, if the welfare of 200 million Americans is, is at stake, and there might be 20,000 Americans, uh, let's say, in secret prisons in Russia, Ukraine, uh, the, the welfare of the 200 million comes first. President Eisenhower back in 1960 dictated that uh, the rescue of any American soldiers in Soviet or communist lands was impossible. It would trigger a third world war. So what exactly yeah, are you looking for? You're looking for Americans to call, what, the Pentagon or something? What ex- no, what's... What, I'm, what I'm saying is that there are thousands of people listening to your program mm-hmm. who have uh, lost loved ones uh, during these wars. Uh, they, they don't forget their father, their brother, their mm-hmm. son, their neighbor. Sure, know? I understand. Okay. Now, if we're like to say also, getting, getting inside with the politics. I don't have 30, time for politics. What You've got like tw- 20 seconds to give us okay. the point of your what call. What I'm saying basically is if, if, you're, if you're working with somebody on a rescue attempt, you have a buddy, you know, then uh, your buddy is watching over you. And if he's an American, we have special values as far as I'm concerned. We have lots of freedom here. So um, I just want to be sure and say anybody listening, the prison is called GASK, G-A-Y-S-K. It's located in Soviet Russia. Go to Google, please. So what do you want the people to do? Just Google a prison's name? Well, the prison special camp number six. There's supposed to be 200 American soldiers there. Good luck getting them out, man. I, I, You know, best of luck to you. You know, when you join the military, that's one of the risks you take. Well, I would hate to think that there were American soldiers uh, locked up over there and couldn't get away. More on the way. It's Free Talk Live. 
Would you like to help others find Free Talk Live? You can help us advertise, market, and promote the show at amp.freetalklive.com. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier now for $3 a month and get some cool bonuses at amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can take control of the airwaves. The toll-free number is 1-800-259-9231. SACL CAI toll-free line, 800-259-9231. You can join us online at freetalklive.com. The features on the site for free. Shrine of female listeners there, dozens and dozens of ladies who've sent us their validated photo to prove they listen to the show. See what I mean by heading over to shrine.freetalklive.com. That's shrine. .freetalklive.com. SACL CAI has a full-orbed approach to account recovery. It's really three companies in one. They do collections, early out billing, and they purchase charged-off receivables. SACL knows that the way they treat your customer reflects on you. Their staff is respectful, they record every call, and, the best, and they have the best equipment money can buy so that your business is handled as efficiently as possible. See their banner at freetalklive.com. Call them today. Do business with businesses that support Free Talk Live. 800-259-9231. Do you guys have any more comments on that whole POW call? It's kind of weird. I mean, you mentioned, Nick, during the break that we'd had a call similar to that in the past. Can you, can you recap um, that? As I recall, it was uh, a theory that there were a large number of U.S. soldiers that were being held on some island where they were doing... It's like off bio- the coast of France or something Af- like that. Or Africa, I thought, yeah. but I, I don't know. I don't recall exactly, but where they were doing biological and chemical weapons testing, according to the caller... And uh, they were still under quarantine, and it was a secret base, and access was restricted. Um, and checking into it, uh, I know you guys did on the show, and I think I looked it up. The island was – it's basically just a nice tourist spot in the Indian Ocean. Um, but that it sounded like a similar conspiracy theory, and I wouldn't be surprised um, uh, to know that this is just another one that kind of gives people hope who've, who have relatives who went missing during one of these wars. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a very broad range of wars. Right. You're um, talking about, even if, if you pick the Vietnam era, you're talking about guys that would be in their, you know, 60s now, likely. Right. And, and most likely they were, I mean, at this point, they're almost certainly dead. They were killed during the war. Or they were held as prisoners for several years. And right, they would be, killed. at this point, why would they keep them alive? Right. Yeah, what's right. the interest, what interest does a foreign country have in continuing to feed and clothe and house uh, men that they confiscated uh, from the battlefield? And to me, the theory doesn't even make sense. I mean, during World War II, Russia was our ally, and during the other wars, he cited, yeah, we were fighting communist countries, but they they didn't directly border Russia, and there's a, why would the Soviets, why would they be, in that the one Soviets be right and why would the Soviets be interested in taking American POWs? <laughs> it's a huge political risk. Why wouldn't they leave it to the Koreans or the Vietnamese to keep them? So you it know, doesn't really make sense logically to me. That right, and if that and if their purpose in having that conspiracy is to give hope to people, isn't that kind of mean? You know, somebody well, out there that's that's looking to get back in touch with their lost uncle or you know son it, or it whatever. It could be that somebody in that position started that came up with the theory. I, you know, I mean, uh, grief can do weird things to people, and they try to rationalize and come up with a, true. an explanation. I, the, the, if the hope spurred you into spending a whole bunch of time and money on trying to find out if, uh, for instance, if you know your father or brother was in one of these prisons, then it could be a big waste of time and money. Which is what he was talking about. He was encouraging people to, I mean, I could barely understand what his point was, but it seemed like he was encouraging people to, you know, do your own research. Go Google this particular prison and then call uh, the State Department or something and try to get them to do something about that. You want to talk about spinning your wheels. Good luck. There's no research you could do. I mean, if you were really, the person was really missing in action, 
that means there's no record of where they went. They were just they were in a combat zone and then they disappeared during some, or, some right. action or other. Right. And you could see that this prison. So there's not exists, much research. Maybe. You could say, yeah, uh, you know, my grandfather whatever fought here in Korea and this was the last point and here's the report and it's just going to. We haven't you heard from he him was, in thirty yeah. something, yeah. forty no one's years. Heard from him and all that's left at that point is to make up a wild theory. You know. Right, and the idea that you're going to be able to get the military to go out and do something about it is, uh, I think, a little foolish. I don't think that's going to happen. Well, Russia still has nuclear weapons, so even if they were holding yeah. our soldiers, I don't think there's much we could do about it. Yeah, it's, it's very unlikely that uh, by calling the Pentagon or calling your representative, you're going to get anybody to take any sort of action that would involve going and finding these prisons and checking them out and seeing if they still have some POWs uh, wasting away in them. Now, however, unlikely. the uh, POW MIA movement in, uh, you know, among the Vietnam War vets that's more of a solidarity thing. Like we're not going to forget our fallen brothers. Mm-hmm. That seems that that that's okay as far as I'm concerned. There's a difference between not forgetting and harping on and devoting one right. all of one's free right. time to it, a, and, a and theory. If there were still POWs, Chuck Norris would have gotten them out by now. Right, <laughs> right. And you know, it's at this point that I think Palmia and as it relates to Vietnam is mostly about remains recovery to see if I, and they have fostered a lot of cooperation with the Vietnamese who we're now friends with, now that the war's over and we trade with them. Um, but there's been a lot of cooperation, and you know we are allowed to go there and look for the remains of people, wh- where they were shot down or where where they were lost. You know, so you think we should have been... Uh, sh- should we have brought all this out while uh, while William was on the line, or would that have been too harsh? Because I feel... You know, I feel... I, I would feel awful sort of raining on the parade of this guy. I mean, he feels like he's doing something important. Now, he's not, he wasn't listening to the show. He said... At least he said to the call screener, right? That's what... Yeah, that's what he said. Good. And so I, I guess I wouldn't have felt bad about that, but you know, when the guy's on the phone, I just I don't know. Should should we have like oh, held I, his feet I, to the fire? I, it was it was difficult to me to understand exactly what the claims you were making yeah. were because you know had to put it together after the fact. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. Let's talk about underage drinking. Uh, Nick, you've got the story from I believe MSNBC. Yep, MSNBC. Um, it's about a week ago. Over the strong objection of federal safety officials, a quiet movement to lower the drinking, legal drinking age to 18 is taking root, as advocates argue that teenagers who are allowed to vote and fight for their country should also be able to enjoy a beer or two. I think, it's, I think that right there is a very strong argument. Yeah, it is. And the proposal, which is the subject of a national petition drive uh, by the National Youth Rights Association, I think their website's naira.org. It's not mentioned here, but I was aware that these National guys Youth Rights, Rights Association. Association. Yep. Um, you could Google that, too. Um, it's been studied in a handful of states in recent years, including Florida, Wisconsin, Vermont, and Missouri, where supporters are pushing a ballot initiative. Um, so it, it is still on the state level, which we'll get to in a minute. Most people don't realize the drinking age is still a state issue. That's correct. They could change the drinking age, but then they would not receive federal highway funds. They would not pr- receive. I've done independent research on this. They wouldn't receive 10% of federal highway funds, um, which really? in New Hampshire's state, uh, case we already lose because of our seatbelt law. So we would lose. So we've got nothing on the line then well, here in New no, Hampshire. Well, no, I think we'd lose an additional 10%. So we I only see. receive 80% of our appropriated funds. Um, so it's basically extortion. Uh, opponents of the idea point to a reported rise in binge drinking as teenagers increasingly turn to hard liquor as proof that minors should not be allowed to drink. But proponents look at the same data and draw the opposite conclusion. Um, and there's some background on that. But teenagers have been turning uh, more so over the last 30 years or so to hard liquor. Uh, it's easier to get, easier to transport. Right. Now, that, that's really the issue. Because it's um, you know, prohibited, teenagers have to hide it. 
And uh, the easiest way to hide it is a flask or something like that. Hard liquor. I remember the only time I've ever drank in my life ever clear, I was under the age of 21. Right. Well, because it's easy, you can get more I think people drunk off a bottle of vodka with less sure. baggage. Than and you can a, do it faster as well. Right. And and more dangerous. Right. It's it's the speed with which you consume the alcohol that is the most dangerous part about it. Right, because you can't, I mean, most people can't really, I'm sure the kids, they like to chug beers, but mm-hmm. uh, it's still a slower process, oh, drinking yeah. beer after beer after beer. And, well, this mirrors what happened with general alcohol prohibition, because America's uh, hired alcohol drinking rates went up during prohibition for the same reason, because it was illegal for everybody. Right. Easier to and conceal in a coffee cup or yep, something like it's that. It's still it's 50% been, higher than it was um, prior to it's, prohibition. It's slowly come down, but it's still higher than it was. So that drove the country in general towards hard liquor. So when you prohibit something like alcohol, it pushes people oftentimes towards harder substances. Um, continue with the article here. Raising the drinking age to 21 uh, was passed with the very best of intentions, but it has, has had... The very worst of outcomes, said David J. Hansen, an alcohol policy expert at the State University of New York, Potsdam. Um, and then there's some other quotes here. And he's absolutely right. It's, yeah. uh, it's a great example of unintended consequences. I don't care what your intentions are. I understand you didn't want kids to drink. You, you, know, you just wanted to save some lives. But as a result now, more kids are drinking harder liquor in more unsafe ways. They're traveling and... Uh, there, people are getting hurt far more than they would if we would just let kids have access to alcohol when they want it. Let uh, you know, let's have a more open attitude between parents and young people about alcohol, to where they can maybe try it at home, to where they're not going out to some party and risking their lives just trying to make it back home to mom's house. Right. Um, if if people think about the when they first tried alcohol, um, like really got drunk. Likely it was in the presence of their friends. Wouldn't you prefer your children to experiment with alcohol in front of you so that you can handle any of these problems? Right. And there's an important difference between the uh, the levels of drinking. We'll continue this discussion here in a moment. It is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It is your show. And you can take control of the airwaves via the toll-free number, 800-259-9231. Sickle CAI toll free line for you. That's 1 800 259 9231. It's Ian here with you. And Nick. And Mark. And you can join us online. Freetalklive.com is the place to go. The features for free. So enjoy those on us. And if you like the show, you want to help support Free Talk Live, then become a Free Talk Live amplifier, as hundreds of our listeners have decided to do for as little as three bucks a month. You just go to amp.freetalklive.com. Amp stands for Advertise, Market, and Promote. The idea is a simple one. You send in three bucks a month. We take that money in and we pull it all together. We turn it around into purchasing advertising for the show to get Free Talk Live on more radio stations across the country and thereby spread the message of freedom and liberty as far and as wide and as fast as possible. So head over to amp.freetalklive.com, learn about the program, learn about the perks you'll get access to, like the amp-only call-in lines, the chat room, the forum, and more. All the details, amp.freetalklive.com. We're talking about a story that's actually been, uh, I guess, all over the place recently because you had it from MSNBC a week ago, and I have a similar story from ABC News, uh, which is just, I guess, just came out today or yesterday. So people are really talking about perhaps lowering the drinking age on a state-by-state basis because, as you said, Nick, it is not a federal uh, law necessarily. Nope. It is uh, a state-by-state decision, and most of the states decided to raise the drinking age in order to get their hands on federal money for highway, and that's you know that's a whole other issue. But I wanted to, before we go on, if there's more to the story, mm-hmm. uh, obviously the usual suspects are lining up to oppose this, like Mothers Against Drunk Driving. 
Yeah, and the head of the National Transportation Safety Bureau is also had a quote, but I didn't feel it was worth mentioning because it was predictable, as you would think. Right. We actually at one time tried, I tried to get Mothers Against Drunk Driving to come on this show and, and talk about uh, these issues. They had no interest in uh, in coming on free talk. Live. No, they'd much rather um, you know they'd much rather take le- the legislative route rather than talking right. about ideas. They'd much rather take legislative route. And plus, they have this, it's their status quo, so they don't really have to defend their ideas. They just have to d- defend it again from legislation uh, changing the, the the status quo. Right. Well, th- their problem is that they equate underage drinking to drunk driving, which doesn't. It's not necessarily the, uh, the statistics that are put out there are skewed, and it this is article not nece- does get into that a little bit. It is not necessarily the case that just because you're drinking underage means that you're irresponsible about it. Not necessarily the case. Right. Now, because it is prohibited, because underage drinking is is against the law and is prohibited, that encourages irresponsibility. Because kids have to hide it. Because kids have to be very, very careful about where they're drinking, how they're drinking, where they're getting the alcohol from. And if they're hiding their drinking, they're doing it at somebody's house whose parents aren't home, which means inevitably they're going to have to go home. Right. They're going to have to go home. How are they – you know, they've already done this bad thing, which is drinking – how am I, I going to get home without getting caught? They're frightened so, to death of calling their parents and being honest with them over this because who knows what they'll think about it. And, uh, of course, parents have to be – the parents that are a little more tolerant have to be very careful as well because if they're allowing kids to drink at their house, if the word's to get out about that, then they could be facing charges for you know, distributing alcohol to a minor or yeah. what is it, uh, contributing to delinquency, I guess is another charge. And so everything is completely underground. It's huge, though. Go to MySpace.com and go and search for you know, kids who are 18 and 19 and 20 and look at the photos on their, uh, their MySpace page. You'll see – Photo after photo of kids with, you know, alcohol in their hands, swigging on liquor bottles right there. The evidence is right out in the open. Everybody in America knows this goes on. Most American adults engaged in it when they were kids. Right. And this well, is, it's this not is, even kids that are on, debated now. This is, I mean, some people who are 19 and 20 have their own apartment. It's they, right. they, you know, adults, they live on okay. their own. And Young th- people. This is, you know, this is what college seems to be entirely about, is consuming alcohol, or at least largely. You're talking about, you've, you put they in this... released the party school list last week. You, the, you put these, uh, this, these four these people in this four age group, 19, 20, 21, and 22. There you've got two, be- two people, I mean, or two years that can buy alcohol and two that can't. So they just, you know, the fraternities and they just get friends to buy the alcohol for them. They drink sure. back at the, uh, the dormitory or wherever it is that they drink. And then they have to, then they want to go out to these events, whether it's, uh, you know, a football game or some party or something like that. Well, they can drink relatively safely in their dormitories or frat houses or whatever, but they can't drink anyplace else. So what they do is they consume a large quantity of alcohol in a short period of time, which is what causes alcohol poisoning. Right. We have in place in this country laws that encourage our kids to kill themselves. And These it's are happening. stupid, stupid laws. Indeed. In fact, I think that the prohibition of alcohol actually encourages kids to be a little more crazy because... You aren't really, unless, again, you have sort of an open-minded family, uh, you aren't necessarily taught about alcohol when you're a young person. I know I wasn't. I was told not to do it. And so what did I do when I turned 16? And, uh, you know, I was able to drive myself around and uh, had friends who inevitably were inviting me over. I went out and got drunk with my friends one night when their parents weren't home. And uh, walked to work the next day, because I actually didn't have a car at that point, but he, he lived close enough to where I could, I could walk to his house. And 
I think that because I didn't really know what I was doing, and I didn't really know anything about alcohol besides the fact that I wasn't supposed to do it, and I knew that people got drunk off of it. That is what I ended up doing, was I got drunk. I got really drunk. As that's many, well, that's many, what most people do right, when as, they first start drinking. I, right. mean, I didn't understand until recently that there's a large segment of the population out there that actually doesn't drink to get drunk. I always thought the purpose of drinking alcohol was to inebriate oneself. I thought that was the purpose because that's what I was around as a young person. When I was a teenager, whenever I encountered alcohol, that was the attitude that surrounded it. Hey, we got alcohol. Let's get trashed or let's get effed up or whatever. And crunk. I thought that this I, or crunk is the new term nowadays, right? I think we're probably no, behind I the times. I never used that, but uh, it's more of a southern thing. I, I've heard it done. So this was the attitude of the young people that I was around in Florida, and I'm sure it's all across the, the country, that this is what you do with alcohol. Well, you get really, really drunk. And well, that's not necessarily what you do. No, and but there, I mean, it's not like you can take it easy if you don't have ready access to alcohol. It's not like you can go out and get a couple beers easily and then just have one or two beers and then be done for the night. If you're underage, you got it's a big process to... Find someone who'll buy you alcohol, get the alcohol, bring it wherever, find some place to drink it. Right, it, and then it encourages you the, to drink it all at once. The scarcity mm. of it encourages a frenzy because whoa, it's exciting. Here's this thing we could, we normally can't have. Let's consume as much of it as we possibly right. can. It, it it everything about what we have just causes kids to drink too much. Yes, it does. Look in Ireland, and I you know I've used this example before. You can go up, and as long as you're quote-unquote man enough to go up to the bar and order a beer, you can do that. It's legal. Now, you have to get the bartender to serve you, and he gets to decide or she gets to decide whether or not they want to. But you can do it at 12 years old. You can order a beer in Ireland. Now, I don't know what their alcoholism rates are. I don't know what their drunk driving incidences are. I would imagine their drunk driving uh, limit is probably different than what ours is. But, you know, I I just I, I, I can't imagine that it it's that terrible of a thing. Quite honestly. No, and um, actually, a lot of people who are coming forward on this um, in support that are new allies in this movement uh, include people like uh, John M. McArdle. He was the former president of Middlebury College in Vermont, and he's, he's been pushing this very hard. I've seen him in the news for about a year or two pushing this issue. But it's a lot of people who are involved in post-secondary education in mm. the colleges who've seen that this, this policy doesn't work. And they're approaching it from the angle, not necessarily that they, they want kids to drink, or they think that the laws in place are wrong, but that the policy is not working. Right. You, it's producing you the, to, wrong, the wrong effect. These are people that are in touch with the reality. They understand that you can say and pass all the laws you want to and wave your laws in people's face, and you can arrest as many kids as you want to arrest. It has not stopped underage drinking, and it will not stop underage drinking, and anybody who's ever been on a college campus knows it. They right. damn well know it, and they also know that when you're trying to recover from some crazy weekend, you probably aren't going to be very good at taking a test on Monday morning. So it's it's also affecting these kids' uh, scores in their colleges. It's affecting, you know, many kids, they get lost in the partying world, and they end up dropping out because they can't keep their grades up. This oh, yeah. is a typical story in colleges. Right, and binge drinking is a phenomenon. I mean, I've, I've heard... Um, McCardle speaking on this before, and he was talking about how binge drinking is a new phenomenon. When he got started in the education industry, it wasn't that wasn't something that was all that common. The frat houses might do it once in a while, but it wasn't like people were having keggers every weekend. 
And now, as this has gone on, it's gotten worse. I mean, the situation on the ground, on the colleges, it, it's gotten worse as far as alcohol abuse. I imagine you can find parties, if not every weekend, a few times a week on oh, college campus. Well, I would think that it's every night. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be a college party At the very least, night. starts on Thursday. Right. Yeah. So, if you care about kids, you should be on the side of lowering the drinking age. Now, lowering it to 18, that's a good start. But in my opinion, would, it's not far enough. I would say it needs to be lower, but I don't think you're going to sell that to the people in specific states very well. No, I think 18 is a good place to start and and make it incremental from there. If right. You go it, it's a tough sell, but the principles are still the same. You know, right. the principles are still the same. If you prohibit this, if you prohibit kids from, from drinking, they're still going to want to do it, and they're going to drink in dangerous ways. If you've got a story you want to share with us about, you know, maybe how you were binge drinking as a young person and, and what the atmosphere was like, what you were encouraged to do and not to do, and what you ended up doing, 1-800-259-9231 is the toll-free number. Hour three's coming up. Our archives, website, and podcast will continue to stay free, but if you think other people deserve to hear this show, consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month at amp.freetalklive.com. Help free some minds. Visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. We're launching into hour number three of the program. You can take control of the airwaves via the toll-free number 1-800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Nick. And Mark. 800-259-9231. You can join us online at freetalklive.com. The features are on our website. We give away, so enjoy those on us. That, again, is freetalklive.com. We're talking about an issue that every American should be concerned about because... Like the war on drugs, this particular war can affect you as well. And we're talking about the war against underage drinking. Uh, We're talking about there is some discussion finally going on in this country again about lowering the drinking age from 21 to 18. Because, well, I mean, the the most sensible basic points you can make are that, well, 18-year-olds can go and join the military and die. They can make that choice. 18-year-olds can sign contracts. They can make those choices. 18-year-olds can buy cigarettes. But they can't decide to sit down and pour a beer for themselves. Well, not not somewhere out in public. The fact is 18, 19, and 20-year-olds are drinking. They absolutely are. Legally, they can't. Legally, they can't. Absolutely, they are drinking. And all we're really managing to do is, well, put our kids, you know, give our kids uh, fines and sometimes jail time. Give them records, make them hate the police, those kind of things. I mean, but look at Canada. Uh, most It's province by province up there, but many of the provinces are 18, 19, 20. They're, I think they're all lower than our national, quote-unquote, drinking age. Yeah, and what about Canada? Are, is there Sky's a... Sky's uh, not falling. I didn't, I don't have a report in front of me. I think they're actually, the, the studies do show that they have lower incidence of alcohol poisoning and... What drunk about driving. Drink, drunk driving? Because in the ABC News article on the same topic, the expert from Harvard uh, says that it would just encourage more kids to drink and drive. Uh, I, I don't have the studies in front of me, so I couldn't tell you what it says exactly. In most countries where they have a lower drinking age, they don't have higher rates of drunk driving. Um, it, it is true that in many of those countries, uh, cars aren't quite as common for young people to have. Um, kids are. But, so they, it's, it's hard to do a country-to-country analysis. Some countries, I think... Would sub, it would support the 
the claims of both sides, depending on which countries you looked at. I think his claim is absurd, personally, yeah. because um, just knowing what I know from being a young person and being nearby people that were engaging in underage drinking, even they were aware that drinking and driving was a bad thing, and there would still be uh, designated drivers in many cases, and in many cases others would stay stay a night or, or sleep in their cars or, or that sort of thing. So uh, I think even though they are drinking underage and they're still doing some irresponsible things in general, they still do understand that drinking and driving is a bad idea and to suggest that just because we make it legal for them to drink underage would increase their likelihood of drinking and driving i think it's not supported by anything but conjecture well no. and, and at this point um you know it's it, it makes it a little more difficult suppose uh for whatever reason i can't even imagine why um i'm partying with some people that are over and under the age of uh consent well I'm going to be in a bit of trouble if I allow them to, you know, the, the more they can stay at my house, which includes spending the night and being safe and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. I, I'm going to be in trouble if it's found out by the police or whatever, if they're loud at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm motivated. I am incentivized to get them out of the house. Send them home. Yeah, so a possibility. That's a bad thing. Nick, you had some more to share from uh, the MSNBC story here. Yes, I did. Um, and by the way, I want to invite anybody out there who is in favor of the current drinking age, who is opposed to lowering the drinking age, please call in. I would like to hear you make your case. Uh, 1-800-259-9231. As someone who's 19, I'd like to hear them make their case, too. Um, the evidence, widely touted by Rosenker, that's the uh, chair, chairman of the, or chairwoman of the National Transportation Safety Bureau, uh, Mothers Against Drunk Driving, and other activist group, rests in a study by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, um, which estimates that from 1975 to 2003, higher drinking ages saved 22,798 lives on America's highway roadways. Now, that's a very precise number, but if you actually look into it, um, the figure is widely disputed by propon- proponents of lowering the drinking age, as it should be. Um, the methodology involved counts any accident as alcohol-related um, mm. if any participant was legally drunk, including victims who may not have been responsible for the accident. This could be a passenger who is 30 years old. No one was drinking and driving, and the passenger who's 30 years old is in a car that hits a car full of teenagers. Yeah, absolutely true. And alcohol was not a factor in the crash whatsoever. Both drivers drivers could have been completely sober, gotten into an accident, and if somebody was in the back seat drunk... They test their BAC after the fact. You've got an alcohol-related death. Therefore, it's added into right. that statistic. Now, BAC is another interesting point because, as I understand it, these studies don't go by if somebody was legally drunk. They'll use as long as there's anything in the system. And legally drunk driving, at least in this state, for somebody who's under the age of 21, the BAC is a .02. For mothers it's against drunk, drunk for mothers against drunk driving to utilize statistics like that and this leading statistics well, like that just goes to show that they are they're they're not concerned at all about the truth, and they're just totally concerned about uh, protecting their position in the in the current status quo. Right. right. They're scum. Well, it's, they wouldn't have these misleading statistics if the government didn't pump them out. I mean, this was the National Highway Traffic Safety Ad- Administration. That's so. the disgusting part, though. The fact is that, um, you know, a 30-year-old drunk person can hit a car full of teenagers, um, kill them, and then, uh, you know, that those four teenagers are considered to be alcohol-related teen deaths. Yep. Yep. I mean, and and, and it, it's it's uh, sort of purported that in fact those four kids were drinking and driving, and it's not. That's it's absolutely the opposite. Yep, and um, the method they have some more people questioning the methodology. Um, 
from from different uh, universities who are statisticians who are saying it's really more of a guesstimate um, that just shows a correlation of numbers, not not a casual relationship. Um, let's see. Uh, that's about 800-259-9231 is the SACL CAI toll-free line. I said I had an ABC News story on the same exact topic. I guess they saw the story on MSNBC, decided yeah. they do their own research and uh, come out with pretty much the same story. They did interview a few different people. One of them is Dr. Henry, Henry Weschler, a researcher at Harvard School of Public Health. He's from Harvard. He must know something, right? Uh, he's apparently a leading expert on college binge drinking. According to him, college uh, binge drinking has remained level at 44% for the last 10 years among college students. He said he thinks lowering the drinking age would worsen the problem, quote, like pouring gasoline on a fire. He says it seems that the guy in Vermont, the uh, educator in Vermont, has found that there are leaks in the boat and that the way to cure it is to knock the bottom out of the boat, he says. Just just emotional imagery. Just You've got nothing. You've got nothing but to, to, just these scare tactics. You're trying to scare Americans into keeping the, uh, the drinking age where it is. And it, the fact is that any American that's honest with themselves knows damn well that these laws aren't doing jack squat to stop kids from drinking. All it's doing is putting them in peril. Right. You know, where do you want your kids to learn how to consume alcohol? The the fact is, it's very likely that your child will consume alcohol. And yep. it's almost as likely that they will learn to consume that alcohol before the age of 21. So they'll learn to do it illegally. A, you're turning your child into a criminal. B, um, you know, who do you want to teach your child about alcohol? Their friends? Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, the same... I don't want these. I don't want these people teaching, uh, you know, these these teenagers teaching my kids about sex, and I don't want them to teach them how to consume alcohol. Well, but the real problem here is that the policymakers, the politicians, are their concern isn't really drunk driving. They autom- They talk about if you actually read his quote, he's saying there's problems, there's holes in the boat. There are holes in the underage drinking laws. To to the policymakers, it's a problem in itself. Even if teens didn't drink and drive at all. To many of them, it's a it's a good talking point to say that people under 21 shouldn't drink. But by that logic... They want to get reelected. Yeah, but by that logic, maybe no one should drink. And we know how well that works. Let's go to the phones and talk to Jeremy in Montana, listening on KGEZ. Hello, Jeremy. You're on Free Talk Live. How you doing tonight, fellas? What's on your mind, Jeremy? Good. Oh, well, I was wondering what you guys uh, might think about these uh, really militant DUI commercials that... Sometimes they come in over our rock and roll radio waves or whatever. If you get caught, you will lose everything you love and we'll take everything from you. And I understand, you know, how it. Go ahead, anyway. Yes, I, I, I've heard the commercials. I've seen, uh, I actually saw them on the web. I presume they're airing on television as well in a fairly heavy rotation. Uh, the government is right now using your federal taxpayer dollars to buy airtime on radio and TV stations and on the Internet. To, to scare the crap out of you. To scare you, saying things like exactly what you were saying, Jeremy, and you will get caught, and you will pay the price. And, you know, this is this is what we've devolved to in this country is this, you know, authoritarian demeanor of this government. Mommy knows best. We're going to tell you how to live your life. How dare you step out of bounds? Look out because we're looking for you. Ooh, you should be scared. Jeremy, thanks for the call. We appreciate it. You can take control of the airwaves. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, and it's your show. You can take control of the airwaves toll-free at 1-800-259-9231, the SACL-CAI toll-free line. Those still would like to hear from someone, 
that thinks the current drinking age is A-OK. You're against lowering the drinking age. I know you're out there listening. The number is 800-259-9231. Please come and defend your position. It is Ian here with you. And Nick. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. The Sakel CAI toll-free line. You can join us online at freetalklive.com. We've got over a quarter of a million posts on our bulletin board system at bbs.freetalklive.com. That's the place to go to get interactive with us and uh, our listeners and there's a lot to talk about. Serious issues and fun stuff. You'll find it all there. bbs.freetalklive.com. Do you have questions about the liquidity crisis, the China option, and the Fed chairman's unenviable choice between hyperinflation or a deflationary implosion followed by hyperinflation? Visit d2z.org or contact Troy at d2z.org. We're talking about the absurdity of the drinking age being set at 21. It needs to be lowered immediately to 18, and in my opinion, then needs to be lowered even lower, like abolished entirely. I think that it should be parents. Uh, parents should be responsible for whether or not their children drink. It should be. If if you're a Baptist family and you don't want your child drinking, I understand completely. They're going to be able to make their own decision at 18 or 21 or, point, yes. or whatever. Um, and I think that there may be some problems with that. But I think that parents should be able to decide whether or not children drink at home and how they learn how to use alcohol. Because likely they are going to learn how to use alcohol. Very, very likely, and they aren't going to learn in. Uh, they're not going to learn in a very positive way. They're going to learn it from their friends in a party atmosphere, which is going to encourage them to binge. It's going to encourage them to overdrink, which could result in either drunk driving or could result in alcohol poisoning mm-hmm. or who knows, maybe a rape or a pregnancy. Uh, let me let me read a, th- a few thoughts from the ABC News version of this article. The expert from Vermont, uh, I think his uh, his name is McCardell. He highlights the adverse effects of the current law, such as the disenfranchising of parents in the alcohol coming of in the alcohol coming of age, and the underground fake ID business. Youth are no longer introduced to alcohol in a controlled environment because many states prohibit parents from providing alcohol to their children at home. Instead, many law-abiding students must first encounter alcohol at college parties, and we all know that most law-abiding students uh, are encountering are encountering alcohol at high school, high school parties, parties, which you will just. Let me get to a quote from one of the uh, the opponents to reducing the age, and this is unbelievable. Anyway, McCardell proposes lifting the cap for states that lower the drinking age while pursuing pilot alcohol education programs, such as, or as long as the states keep drunk driving rates down. Some young people believe alcohol education classes might encourage responsible drinking amongst college students. Zach Yost, a senior at the University of Michigan, said it would be giving an indication that they're given a seat at the table. I think that students might find it empowering. But public health professionals predict dangerous consequences will accompany lifting the law. Quote, this is the, uh, I think this is the, the guy from Harvard. Here's the doom and gloom that's going to happen if you happen to lower the drinking age to, well, I don't know, pretty much where it is everywhere else in the world. If you make alcohol available to 18-year-olds, you have to think of the consequences of your actions, said one expert. You're bringing it into high schools. What world is this guy living in? Well, um, this is this has been, uh, to some extent, a phenomenon that's occurred, is when you allow 18-year-olds to drink, then they, um, you know, I was 18 in high school, as mm-hmm. were you, likely. Then at 18, I can go and get um, alcohol, and then it, supply it to the younger people in that uh, you know, in that high school um, environment. I'm not saying that that doesn't occur, but it's occurring now anyway. Look, when I was in, in 19, you know, in the 1980s when I was a teenager, 
I had a perfectly good system for getting all the liquor I wanted to get. And what was it? Well, I um I, I worked at a comic book store, and there were uh, people that would come in there, and there was I, I a friend of mine who was twenty one or twenty two mm-hmm. or something like that, and. I would uh, exchange him comic books that I had bought on personal credit, you know, at the store. I had um, a great deal of credit at the store. And I would exchange him comics for a fifth of uh, vodka. So I would do two for one, basically. Um, you know, he'd get a $10 bottle. I'd give him $20 worth of comic books. And it worked out just fine. And, you know, I had a perfectly good system. I'm I'm not alone. Well, and it should be noted that I can get an AK-47 at 18, which I did. It doesn't hmm. mean – I mean – that's allowed, but I guess I could just take them into school in the trunk of my car and, and distribute them to all the 14-year-olds. I mean, you could use that argument for so many things that 18-year-olds can do that you know, uh, younger people can't. But well, that, plus, that, 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 I would say that's an argument for lowering the drinking age to where um, parents are able to yeah. uh, you know, teach their kids how to consume alcohol. Right. It's an argument to not stop at 18, if anything. And well, 18 is a high drinking age compared to most of the world. I know it in, really is. In England, they can, you can go to a pub at 16. Most, really? Yeah, you can yeah, go to pubs you can at drink 16. Anytime. Um, that's amazing. Most European countries are that way. You can drink pretty much whenever. And, and they just don't have the problems. The uh, they just don't have the youth drinking problems that this country no, does. No, generally they don't. Uh, so, again, is this guy living in an alternate dimension? The idea that if you make it legal for 18-year-olds to purchase, that that's going to somehow increase the availability in high school? When, I was, when it was my 17th birthday and I ended up that night on the front porch of some guy's home in a very ritzy, uh, wealthy neighborhood where a friend of mine was living, we were all getting drunk that particular evening. It was 3 in the morning. I ended up banging on this man's door, yelling something about having to take a dump. And uh, he came downstairs and pointed a weapon in my face of some sort. I only remember all this because I was told. I don't remember. I was blacked out at the time, so I don't, phys- I don't actually remember it. And uh, the, well, the, the way that night started, I was 17. My friends were younger than I was. And we went down to the Quick Stop, which is a convenience store in the southeast, and stood outside... It couldn't have been much longer than five or ten minutes. It was not a long time at all. It was not a long time before three or four teenage boys. We didn't even have an attractive female with us or anything to uh, really work the guys going into the convenience store. We just asked a few guys on their way into the store if they'd buy some uh, buy some beer for us. And it didn't take long at all to find one who was willing to do it. Right. I know that Julia, my girlfriend, uh, what, not too long ago when we were down in Florida, she was working at a job. And as you know, many young people work jobs. They work with people that are older than they are. And so you don't even have to be friends with people necessarily in order to get them to buy alcohol for you. You can either meet total strangers or approach one of your coworkers who you've come to trust through working with them and say, hey, will you come buy me some alcohol? And then, you you know, you offer them five bucks for their time and for their effort. And uh, so Julia would get out of work and she'd go over to the Publix and go and buy a pack of brewskis for the kid and bring it back to him, make a few bucks extra and come home. Day's done. Got a few extra dollars, help the kid get his alcohol. He was going to get it anyway. You might as well cash in on it. They're going to get the alcohol anyway. To to say that making it legal for 18-year-olds is going to increase the availability to high schoolers, I think is just nutso. You aren't living in the real I, world. It will increase the availability, but in a good way. The scarcity that those um, 18, 19, 20-year-olds feel around alcohol and therefore the need to consume and uh, you know consume it as quickly as possible, to get as much of it as possible, that's how people are about scare, um, you mm-hmm. know, things that are scarce. They want to hoard them. That's true. Not good for our children when it comes to alcohol. The phone lines are 
suspiciously silent. Certainly there's someone that thinks this is a bad idea. According to a Gallup poll released about three weeks ago, 77% of Americans oppose lowering the drinking age. They oppose it? That's what this Gallup poll said, but you know, I've seen I've seen a lot of polls that seem skewed to me and these that's people a national must be average of old people generally take that's Gallup true. Polls. That's true. Good yeah. point. Well, these people are living in a totally uh, just fantastic world where they really believe that the laws can have some effect on people's behavior, and it's just fantasy. One eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. Do you want to lower the drinking age or do you oppose it? We'd love to hear from you. It's Free Talk Live. One of the bonuses you'll get as a Free Talk Live amplifier is access to our classic archives. For just $3 a month, you can become an amplifier, and you'll help us get on more radio stations and MP3 players. Get the details at amp.freetalklive.com. That's amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, and it's your show. You can take control of the airwaves toll-free at 1-800-259-9231, the SACL CAI toll-free line. That's 800-259-9231. It's Ian here with you. And Nick. And Mark. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features on our website, we give them away. So enjoy those on us, including the live streams, broadband version of the show, and a dial-up version, both for free at freetalklive.com. And now you can save time and money on common legal matters. Created by top attorneys, LegalZoom.com helps you create reliable legal documents, like your will or living trust, in minutes. LegalZoom.com. Use code FTL, like Free Talk Live. That's code FTL to save 10% at LegalZoom.com. Mark, let's jump into the email box since no one wanted to call in to uh, defend the status quo, to defend the current drinking age situation in this country. And I suppose that makes sense because your position is indefensible. Anyway, email box, what do you got for us? (laughs) Uh, This is from uh, Steve. When you think about human beings as evolved creatures with evolved minds, now one has to take a step here um, and decide that human beings are in fact evolved, but it's always interesting to look at it this way. It opens a lot of interesting doors. One assumption made is that humans basically stopped evolving when they became good enough at sustaining life that nature created um, ceased excuse me, to select by killing off the weaker ones. It's been a very long time, probably thousands of years since even the weak humans died before they could reproduce. Today it seems the less gifted humans are the ones having the most children, and it's a complete reversal. So we can say hmm. by that, for the most part, humans stopped evolving long ago. I think he would enjoy the Mike Judge film from 2006 called Idiocracy. <laughs> and if you haven't seen it yet, that's basically the concept is that uh, the dumb people kept multiplying and multiplying, you know, the government school system, keeping them stupid and making them dumber and dumber. And then uh, what happens uh, 500 years down the line is you've got a, an entire society full of nimrods. It's a brilliant, hilarious movie. Highly recommended. The, anyway, impl- sorry, the, go ahead. the implication is that when we are um, that we are really no different from the humans who lived, say, ten thousand years ago. We have more knowledge than they do, um, passed on generation to gener- generation. But in terms of pure hardware, there's no significant difference, and that includes our brains. We basically have all the mind. We have the minds of cavemen with the advantage of more knowledge than cavemen had. Ugh. And we know that evolution is um, environment-specific. In a given environment, natural selection facilitates the survival of creatures suited for that environment. And that means that we are humans. Um, we humans are creatures specifically suited for survival as hunter-gatherers in Africa. A few notes about the environment, including the uh, social environment that we evolved to exist in. I don't really feel like I'm suited for that. You don't. Well, feel like- we. I mean, people did evolve after they moved out of Africa. Obviously, what the Caucasian race kind of branched off because we didn't need as much melanin in our skin and there were there was a little bit 
that happened after that. But. Right. I don't feel like I would fare too well uh, running through the forest chasing after bunnies. You probably wouldn't right. do very good on the tundra <laughs> um, of, uh, you know, medieval or, you know, old Europe either. Right. But it's his email, so go on. All right. It, it's, it was zero sum. This was before humans, um, th- this, excuse me, this is what, about the environment, that, uh, including the social environment. It was zero sum. This was before humans learned to produce. All they could do was take whatever nature gave them in the form of plants or animals. There was a limited stock of plants and animals and no way for humans to make more of them that they knew of. Right. Once you run out, you're dead. It was tribal slash collectivist. A single human could not survive alone. He needed the strength of a tribe. He could trust his tribesmen, but he could not trust outsiders. Why? See number one. In the, because of the scarcity issue. Um, intentions were um, a good proxy for results. In a zero-sum world, selfish people were a threat, while altruistic people are a friend. Do you kind of get that? I got you. In, in, in your tribal situation, if somebody's acting selfishly, they're a bad person. You know, they're they're, they're hoarding, hoarding a bunch of food, and so therefore you're threatening the, tr- the existence of the tribe. And yourself. And an altruistic person, you know, that shares within is, is good. Mm-hmm. It's only in the uh, crazy modern world of markets and trade where, the reverse, um, where this reverses itself, where self-interest leads to great social benefits and altruism from the government leads to disaster. In that world, one's well, in- the government isn't really altruistic. It's not entirely, but uh, people do not vote. Not at all. People, well, but people vote for altruistic purposes. They believe in that. empower. They okay. do. They, they, you know, they, it's they, not altruism when you're stealing money from people. Right. They understand. Right. Uh, you understand that, but people don't understand that. I gotcha. In that world, one's intentions are a pretty decent proxy for whether they're going to help you or harm you. So if we're evolved to exist in a zero-sum world, is it any big surprise that most people still act as if we do? And Hmm. isn't it a much more satisfying answer than Ian's, they've been brainwashed in government schools answer? I remember my second grade teacher, she was about 22 years old, she was worried about a lot of things in her life, and brainwashing kids to worship the state wasn't one of them. (laughs) It's very subtle. It's very subtle. They, many of them don't even know they're participating in. Brainwashing. No, I, I would say I would, I would say that uh, to some extent you're right, but also I would say that um, Steve has a really great point here. It's that, very interesting that people, um, you know, do view altruism as you know you being good, and they view you as being selfish as being bad, and so when you when we make points from political purposes, we need to really make them from well, the altruistic point of view but his argument doesn't address the fact that it's collective it's a there's a collective selfishness that went on if your group of people wasn't was competing for food with some other group of people it would probably be in your best interest to beat them to death sure and it also ignores it also ignores the point that altruism doesn't really exist and those who claim to be altruistic are indeed actually engaging in selfishness but they don't understand that um when when you say vote for I, i don't know let's think of something particularly altruistic Feeding uh, poor babies. Okay. When you vote for WIC, that's what essentially that is. Um, and or you vote for politicians that support uh, programs like like WIC. Okay. You're actually voting for the violence of the state to come down upon the head of anybody who does not or cannot participate in paying properly. You are. Yep. But um, whether you realize it or not. You know, from the same point of view, they say, well, if you don't want to participate in supporting, uh, you know, a program that feeds hungry babies, then you're bad. You're non-altruistic. So they don't really feel bad about the government being brought down the head of those people, even though it's it's a selfish person's right to be selfish. You get what I'm saying? Oh, I totally get it. I encounter it all the time. 
And I really, call a call the morning show here in Keene. I called it today. There's this uh, there's this ballot provision that we went out and voted on today to increase the teachers' salary here in uh, here in Keene. And I called the morning show to oppose it, of course, uh, because well, I'm opposed to uh, increasing taxes. And I didn't have, you know, I, you never have enough time to explain all of this stuff. So th- there's only so much communicating that one can do. You just have to get your points out. You don't have the chance to go into the details as to, well, you know, I do like the teachers and I would like for them to be compensated, you know, in a uh, market-based fashion. And here's what my plan is for all that. I didn't have time to get into all that. And so, of course, I'm going to come off as being very callous. I'm going to come off as being, you're just a selfish scumbag. You want to keep all your money. You hate teachers you don't want to educate kids you know that sort of thing so it's very easy for the the altruism crowd to paint us as being bad perhaps you can couch it in the terms that well what about the poor little old lady who's living on a fixed income who cannot simply cannot afford to pay anything more they have uh, programs every hundred but but still they have programs to help them pay but that doesn't change the increases in the property tax so, um, you know, I mean, even if the if the program helps them pay half, well, look, that's still 50 cents on every dollar that she's got to come up with on her own. And that 50 cents come, you know, it could be the difference between her eating a good meal and eating a bad one or eating dog food. Yeah, that's what these you know, that's what these people that that want these altruistic programs simply don't understand. Of course, it goes it goes the same for people who well, want you also uh, have to you, you also have to construct your message based on who your audience is. You can't always just come to the table with this sort of altruistic sales point because you, when you're dealing with for instance a conservative, then you you want to sell them based on the fact that they're going to have more more money in their pocket. The way you want to structure your message depends on who's listening. And so on our radio show, well, everybody's listening, so we just talk about whatever we want, you know, whatever we want to cover, and we try to cover as many bases as we can. But in the real world, where you're talking with somebody, you need to take under consideration what their viewpoint is. Are they somebody who's very concerned with helping the poor? In which case, structure your points and make your persuasive points about how the liberty position helps the poor better than the government position. And same thing with uh, with uh, with conservatives that are more concerned about more money, more money in their pocket. You show them how liberty is going to put them, you know, give them more money in their pocket and give them the, the freedom to uh, educate their family with whatever moral system they want to. It all depends on who your audience is. And I appreciate his email. More on the way. You can take control. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. Only moments remain, but just enough time for your call if you make it now. 1-800-259-9231 is the SACL CAI toll-free line, and it's Ian here with you. And Nick. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. You can join us online. Freetalklive.com is the place to go. The features are for free, so enjoy those on us. And if you like the show and you want to help support Free Talk Live, then go and buy some Free Talk Live branded merchandise like hats. And uh, we've got uh, we've got the brand new Free Talk Live hoodies. We've got T-shirts and more. It's all there at store.freetalklive.com. Place your order. Get some great merchandise. That's store.freetalklive.com. Now, uh, we just finished up an email about altruism versus selfishness, and uh, he sort of tied it into evolution as well. And I think, uh, again, it's very important to understand the concepts of altruism and selfishness, especially if you're going to be talking about them. And, and Nick, you made a, a great point about altruism during the break. If you could just make it again on the air. Well, no matter great. what you do, that I mean, people might label it as altruism, but even if you're giving money to, say, a poor orphan, it's still out of a desire to give money to the poor orphan. You're still doing that which makes you feel good, which 
you know, which something that satisfies you. So it's still out of a self-interest whether it, it's intended to really benefit you in a tangible way or not. Exactly. It, uh, you want that warm, fuzzy feeling inside you. That's why you gave money to the poor or gave money to fill-in-the-blank or volunteered for whatever organization. And the, the reason for the confusion, I think, is because the word selfishness is misused a lot. Exactly. Now, it's, it's used to mean you know, you're, you're hurting somebody by taking too much from them or you're overly greedy. It's, it just means you're motivated by your own self-interest, which you should be. Correct. And it's become a dirty word. It's become yeah. a term that you can slap on somebody who's doing something that you don't like, and if, which of course is kind of interesting that whenever someone labels you as selfish, if they see you do something or you, uh, you engage in some activity that they decide they don't like and they say, you're selfish Nick for deciding to do that, that's actually kind of selfish in a way for them to label you in that way because because they're, again, they're sort of um, trying to bend them, you to their will. Right. They're <laughs> pumping themselves up at your expense. And I just find it, I find it really important to um, shoot anybody down that uses that term incorrectly because it's so widespread, it's so misused, but it's such a, uh, it, it, because the term is so widespread, I don't think that there's any alternative. Like it's not like anarchist where you can replace it with other words. I think that selfish needs to be saved. I think it's such an important term. It's so critical to some of the things we talk about, for instance, on Free Talk Live. That if somebody labels someone else as selfish, then it's important to bring it up to them and say, "Why are you? You know, what? Do you, let's look into that. Why are you using that term? Um, you know, are they really selfish? Maybe they're not being selfish. Maybe it's okay to be selfish. You know, that sort of thing. Sort of dig in." To the, the terminology. Right. Everything that everyone does, they do in order to make themselves feel better. And Even if you kill yourself, it's still selfish. Right. Apparently, they're in a great deal of pain. And I would think that uh, everyone would consider killing themselves to be an extraordinarily selfish act. Um, but, you know, the – I guess, uh, you know, we have to – essentially, society has to punish people who hurt other people in selfish acts – um, you know, in hoping to make themselves feel better, and that's really what the role of society is. Well, if you're hurting somebody, then that's a whole other situation. Well, it, it's often used to mean you don't. It's often used to mean you're only self-interested and you're not interested in altruism at all. Which I would say is you're right. It might not necessarily be the best way to be, but it tends to mean you don't care about other people, and that's not necessarily what it means. A, a lot of people who care about other people, they're still self-interested. So you can still be altruistic out of self-interest you just might not realize it and that it takes people a while usually to wrap their head around that but once i got it that that explained a lot of things yeah once you once you open your mind to the truth about selfishness and that is that every action you take is based in selfishness it really it it helps change your i think it helps change your worldview but uh, i've got a related email from norbert he says, hey, guys, thanks for reading my uh, letter on the air, the one about the school shooting. I was quite amazed and pleasantly surprised when I heard it on the air. The feeling's quite unbelievable when you finally find someplace that has values like your own, even though it even though it is only a radio show. You guys have given me a renewed hope in the American population, at least in a small part of it. Being able to hear freedom-oriented ideas bounced around and exercised helps reinforce the correctness of the libertarian philosophy. I have one issue that I would like to inquire about that I have some trouble with. When I talk about liberty and freedom, I feel the correctness of those ideas through my whole body and mind. It feels completely natural. But liberals, conservatives, Christians, Muslims, etc. claim exactly the same. They say that what they believe is an extension of their being. I feel that's the case with me and the ideas of freedom. 
The crux of the problem is that every single faction claims their ideas are correct. So does the libertarian movement. Well, the How libertarian movement doesn't exclude those factions in any way. Um, that's you can true. Be, you can be a Muslim libertarian. You can be a Christian libertarian. But he it, also mentioned liberals and conservatives in there as well. Well, that's a bit different, usually. You, you can have the philosophies of uh, those things as long as you don't um, impart those philosophies, force them on other people. And that's really the uh, issue of libertarianism. But so he's pointing out, though, that there may be a faction out there of people that maybe the authoritarians that believe that using force is correct, that using force is the right thing to do. Well, authoritarians as long as you're doing the right thing with the force. An authoritarian, and that, that's a person who believes that essentially the government is always right, no matter what. You must bow to the will of you know, may be the, somebody the most that, important people. No, that's not necessarily the case. The authoritarian may also be someone who believes that they are right and they would like to be in charge, but they aren't. Right. That that those people are sick and sociopathic, okay? And most people um the vast majority of people really believe in a non-violent existence and once you show them that they are essentially uh initiating force, they're being violent towards their neighbors and mm-hmm. friends, they'll back off their positions relatively quickly. It takes them you know, it takes them months and years sometimes to unravel all of these issues. Right, it won't each happen one individually, but you can often see a light bulb going going off in people's heads. Right. I mean, the initiation of force is a central question. Either, either you believe in that or you don't, and that's... that's yeah. That is the dividing line between right. us and them. And right. that's what our job is as libertarian or liberty-oriented communicators, is to help people understand that that is the ultimate question. Pick your side. Do you support those who would use force on others, and therefore, by proxy, you are someone who would use force on others if you want someone else to use force on them in your name? Or are you someone who supports voluntary solutions? Are you someone who thinks that we can all get along without harming each other and without forcing each other to contribute to the That's how the plot? vast majority of Americans make it through their day. Correct. They manage to uh, convince people through uh, you know, relationships, contracts, money, all kinds of but ways the to do what they say, want. The authoritarian would respond and say, well, that, but the only reason why Americans are doing that is because the police are around. Otherwise, it would be chaos. Otherwise, they'd be killing each other in the streets. Um, well, well, the, the, I can uh, point out there's plenty, you know, America existed as a free market long before there were police in America. You know, Amer- it's armed Americans that make America a safe place, not the police. And, you know, I think that what, uh, you know, most people would uh, would imagine themselves to be, yes, I'm, I, I wouldn't want to be aggressive or forceful towards my neighbor. But that's sort of what the government's the extension of you being aggressive and forceful. So if you're, it allows you to be aggressive and forceful without having to do the dirty work. Right. If you're a conservative and you think that this uh, war in Iraq is a really great idea, that we're protecting, uh, you know, d- democracy over there, looking for weapons of mass destruction or mm-hmm. whatever litany of uh, bullcrap excuses we've been fed up until now. Well, you're forcing me through the federal government to pay for that war that I disagree with. Or if you're a liberal That's and you violence. think, or if you're a liberal and you think it's great to give money to the poor people and you want everybody to do it, then you're forcing me to give my money to people that I might not necessarily want to have given money to. I want, might want to, you know, might have wanted to uh, vet them a little bit further than uh, just allowing the government to make the decisions for me. So right. there's always forcing. And, and if I choose not to pay for these uh, services, be it the war or uh, you know welfare or whatever it is, then 
I go to jail. Now, he does have a, a few more questions here. So he says, how can I spread the ideas of freedom without looking like a loony myself? I'm an agnostic, and when Jehovah's Witnesses come to my door, I turn them away, thinking they're insane. But what makes libertarians different? Are we any different from the rest of them? Can we somehow become more than what, we have, what they have created and go beyond sounding hypocritical? What do you guys think? How can you come off as not looking like a loony kook, in his words? And I think that the first thing you need to do is to study communication skills, to go to the Advocates for Self-Government at uh, theadvocates.org and brush up. They've got some great information right there on their website. They also have wonderful books. Uh, Michael Cloud, I'm currently actually in the middle of this book, Secrets of Libertarian Persuasion. There are very time-tested techniques out there that will allow you to take people's points, turn them around, sort of like doing verbal jujitsu almost on them, and, and bring them a step closer into your direction. Uh, there are some real good techniques out there. I think also just generally try not to sound too righteous. If you try to sound like you're all that and I'm right, you're wrong. Else, yeah, and right. You, you, if you, if you, in the first conversation you tell everybody that flat out they support the initiation of violence and that's terrible and right, you know, it, you're not going to get. You have to. It's something you have to be careful how you present it. And in you don't any conversation, come off as when you, um, you accusatory statements that begin with you. Are, you know, why, why OU? Those are not going to work yeah. in uh, convincing people. But of statements anything. on how you could benefit from liberty, that will work. So accusatory, bad, but um, positive statements about how you could benefit from uh, getting the government out of your life, that's helpful too. And there's all kinds of different techniques depending on the person you're talking to. This stuff takes time, and you should take time to learn it well. This is Free Talk Live. See you tomorrow night. DVD, books, music, instruments, periodicals, computers, software, electronic, photo, cell phone, office product, home and garden, bed and bath, furniture, kitchen, pet supplies, automotive, hardware, apparel, shoes, jewelry, grocery, healthcare, sports and outdoors, toys, games, used and more. It's a department store at your fingertips. Amazon.freetalklive.com. Get all your shopping done, a great deal, delivery to your door, and a percentage of your purchase will go to Free Talk Live when you enter Amazon through Amazon.freetalklive.com. 